Hey everyone, I'm Andy Petronic, and this is the Whole Life Challenge Podcast. It's the place we talk to exceptional people about the things that make them tick, exploring their life successes, lessons learned, daily habits and secrets, what helped them to get where they are, and how they stay on top of their game. Welcome back, everyone. This is Andy, and I'm really excited about our guest this morning. Her name is Mary Shenuda. She goes by the name of the Paleo Chef on Instagram. She's got a lot of followers. You may have heard of her. She's got about 100,000 followers on there. Um, she's also very well known for a product that she makes. It's, it comes in a packet like goo, like if you're an endurance athlete and you've ever you know, taken any of the, the uh, sport gels like goo or um, what are some of the other cliff shots? Uh, there are a ton of them out there now. She makes something called Fat Fudge, and it's a paleo, ketogenic, um, compliant, really delicious little treat um, that uh, you, if you haven't heard of it, you should check out. I'm not sure where, how universally it's available. She actually lives very close to me in, um, in, um, in Los Angeles, and uh, so it's available here, but um, uh, it's definitely available via her website as well. Um, she's she's also got a really interesting fuel that she calls unicorn fuel that um, was gained notoriety. She gained kind of notoriety and popularity for that uh, she shared. It's still on her website. The, the recipe, I, I think, actually her original recipe for fat fudge is still on her website as well. She's an she's an open book. You know, one of the one of the really refreshing things I got out of our conversation and the time that we spent together is her willingness to be transparent with pretty much every part of her life. She's one of those diet change success stories um, faced with skepticism and lack of success in finding answers to the ailments that plagued her since she was a, a young kid, uh, like headaches, like migraine headaches and headaches pretty much every day of the week for years, um, maybe even decades, decades or at least a decade. Um with no real help from doctors or regular medicine, she took it upon herself to find answers. And she found answers through diet. She discovered she was a celiac or she had celiac, celiac disease. Um, she went paleo and her life completely changed as a result. She is a chef now. She was, she had, a, her background is in tech actually, which doesn't, you, you look at her and talk to her and it, and it's very interesting that that's her background because it doesn't really compute. You'd never, you'd never tag her for that. Um, and she is, uh, she's just incredibly deep and insightful and fun and interesting. Um, her story, you know, is, is inspiring. It's inspiring in the sense that look at what you can do when you start paying attention to your own life without the help of anyone else, even in spite of the help of other people who tell you, you have, you know, are making guesses just like you would, even with tests. You know, that's, that's the amazing thing I find uh, about doctors. We all put so much trust in doctors, which, Hey, look, there's nobody I'd rather go to if I break a bone or I'm, you know, in congestive heart failure or just heart failure than an emergency room with Western doctors. No one I'd rather go to. This is not a, a um, 
conversation anti-doctor in any way, shape, or form. But there are things that doctors just don't know, and they're making educated guesses on as well, just like we are. Now they use, they have more training, and they have they have more access to more information a lot of times. But it doesn't mean that they have all the answers. They are human, and we are human, and you know they can't possibly know what's going on inside of you or how it feels exactly. They can know from tests, they can know from MRIs, they can know from scans, they can know from lab results. But the bottom line is you've got a mind and a heart and a liver and, that you can access and make changes to based on your, your intuition and your, your own internal guidance. And very often it is better and can work better than the guidance given to you from external sources. Mary is a great example of that. And um, our conversation kind of runs the gamut. Um, she actually interviews me for a little while in the podcast about, about some of the things I've learned over, over time. Um, we spend a long time together. It's a really fun, uh, interesting, and deep conversation. And um, I hope you guys enjoyed as much as I did. Without further ado, here is Mary Shenuda. Mary, it's so great to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. Um, I'm stoked. Uh, it was funny right before we started the podcast, my dog Bella <laughs> beelined out of the room uh, with her tail between her legs. She's a little jumpy for no real reason. Like I started laughing, and she beelined out of the room, and then she poked her head around the the corner, and it was very very funny. <laughs> it's like the, like watch my back, watch my back. <laughs> and now she's of course. Lovingly back in the room. All right, Bella, we're not going to let you steal the whole show. Just a little bit. I still haven't tried to pet her because I feel like she's still skeptical. Yeah, she's still a little skittish. She might start barking, and that bark is it's pretty good, loud, loud bark. Um. So, uh, tell me a little bit about. Um, tell not just not just me, but everybody. What What do you do? What's What's your how did you get to where you are? And, and uh, if, if you're at a cocktail party, I like to ask this question. If you're at a cocktail party and somebody says, so what do you do? I tell them I'm unemployed. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then I don't really have to get into it. That's a good kind of, well, <laughs> you kind of do. Kind of it's good lead in. Uh, it's because I don't know how to answer the question. I think when people, it's different. If I'm having a, a business conversation and someone wants to know what I'm doing, I go through the things that I am working on and, and what keeps my lights on and what I'm growing. But when I'm asked on the streets, I don't know if it's a imposter syndrome issue or whatever, but I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of an internet douchebag. <laughs> and it all has to do with food. Like I share my life. And then they're like, oh, you're a blogger. And for some reason, I'm like, I am not a blogger. I do not post blog posts. No, no, no. And I think it's because I don't know how to answer that question because uh, entrepreneur, for me, when I was still in tech in San Francisco, was a fancy word for unemployed. So I'm like, right. entrepreneur. And I'm like, well, how do you make money? Like, what, what do you do for that? So I right. haven't really defined it. I think... <sighs> I'll think about it for a second. But you know, when, funny, when you watch funny, me. Well, it's funny your reaction when you said I'm not a blogger. Yeah. I've talked to, I had Charles Daly on the podcast a few weeks ago and he's like, I'm not a trainer. And I had <laughs> V Capaldi on and what did she say? It was so funny. Something of the same sort, like I'm not a blogger. I'm not a, there was something else that she said. Um, so it's interesting. And you know, when I was a trainer, I hated the word trainer. I hated, I, Why I'm not a trainer. Why did you hate the word trainer? I, I felt like it had this negative connotation around 
you know, someone that was low, you know, didn't have a great education was going to 24 hour fitness with the word trainer on his back. And, you know, like, that's just not what I pictured myself as. And yet, like now I, I'm not a trainer. I'm not in the fitness. Well, I'm in the fitness world, but not directly. Now I look back and go, well, what, what did I do? I was a trainer. I was, I coached, I was a coach. I was a fitness coach. And I have a visceral reaction to blogger because it, it then sets up the expectation for someone else that I'm going to be posting regularly. And I don't post on my website. I don't, I'm like reluctant to post recipes. I I think because you have your traditional blog and people get an email from the blogger and they're usually talking about a product or a recipe that they're posting and I don't do any of that. So the reason why I'm like, I'm not a blogger, please don't hold me up to the expectations of doing regular posts and email newsletters because I just don't do that. Uh, But I treat my Instagram account like a microblog. Right. It's not formal. There's there's no selling someone else's stuff either. It's just my thoughts in long form. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm an artist, man. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm a I'm a private chef. So I left corporate America to become a private chef, the paleo chef. And that is, I I don't believe following your passion is the best advice in the world. I do believe doing what you're good at and paying your bills and letting your passion find you in that process is. A little more fiscally responsible. Right. So right. I <clears throat> was really good at cooking my majority of my life and then also had to change my diet to change my health, which is very appealing. And it was right when the word paleo was becoming popular. So that was the train that I jumped on with being a private chef. And through that arose the other opportunities. So since then, that was three and a half, four years ago, being a private chef and having all these amazing people as clients. I made it a point to share that whole process of leaving corporate America mm-hmm. and come with me on the journey. And what's come out of that is the my product, Fat Fudge, the ketogenic fudge, uh, a this YouTube series with a production company, a book agent and book deal, uh, lots of working with other restaurants and world-renowned chefs who want me to create paleo items for their mainstream menus. And all of those things are a lot of fun, but they came from me being a private chef. So when people make the comment of like, oh, you're a blogger, I go, look, if the internet died tomorrow, I would still have clients as a private chef and I would still have a product in the store. Right. So I think for whatever reason, I draw that line between where do I make my money? I happen to make my money. Um, I guess it's bad to say in the real world because it's all real. Well, they're better, they're, they're, it's funny because I'm dealing with this right now with the whole life challenge. Is this week in the whole life challenge is a social media blackout. It's yeah. upsetting a lot of people, and a lot of people are claiming that the the whole life challenge is social media. And you know, I the thing that the way I respond to that is if all social media disappeared, if all ability to log your score disappeared, yeah. let's say you couldn't even get on the internet. Yep. You still have seven daily habits that are effective for changing your life, for, yes. for living living your life. And yes. that's really the purpose of the whole life challenge. It's not the community aspect helps support you. Um, but the game is something that takes place in your life. And it's it sounds like very something very similar for you in this case, is your life is in the very real world of it so when I first left and was and and I, for better or worse, got introduced to a lot of uh, affiliate marketers and bloggers and everyone was building their business online. And I didn't feel good about building it that way because I, one, like to create something and two, need something in case the internet dies tomorrow. Right, right. <laughs> so I just, for me, it was important. I don't know if it's an old school mentality. 
I, that's why I don't do affiliate marketing. That's why I don't charge people for posts. If I like your product, I just post about it because I want you to keep your money. And I want that to make sure that my focus is making money independent from other people's stuff. Well, there's a freedom in that, you know, we were talking about that. Yeah. I'm not a team player. And I have no qualms <laughs> about saying that at all. Right. And I played tennis. I was in tech sales and I'm a private chef. I like having a personal trainer. I uh, I love douche gym. I did one-on-one training with Logan. Mm-hmm. He was like trying to get me to do the the group stuff. I'm like, yep. oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, I signed up for six months and I went to one group class and I like told him like, there's not 100% chance I'm not coming back to this. <laughs> Donate my six months to someone else. I know this about myself. <laughs> uh-huh. And rather than try to change myself in my 30s, why don't I just create a life around that? Right. Um, so that's what I do. I like having that freedom. I just said I'm not a team player. <laughs> I'll hire people one day that are team players on my behalf. But, you know, it's interesting you say you're not a team player. I'd say you're a team leader. What does that mean, though? You have a commu- You have a tribe of people. I mean, look, you've, how, many th- how many Instagram followers do you have? You have a lot. Yeah. And that's not a coincidence. And it's not because you don't, you're not saying something that resonates with a lot of people. And I think that puts you in a category that is, it's certainly not unique in today's world, but having the number of, of people following you on Instagram is certainly somewhat unique, you know? And, and, um, I think it's the, so the reason why I, I don't know that I'm necessarily a, a leader, I just think I'm an example. I've been far motivated and maybe it's cause I'm the eldest in my family. I've always been far more motivated by knowing that I'm setting an example for somebody versus looking for mentors or getting validation from someone above me. Because I don't know that I'm here to change the world, but I know that I'm influencing, impacting people that can and will. And so like eat clean, play often, crush life, even how that came to be was by pushing away criticism that I got for being the way that I am and telling everyone that, you know, eat, play, crush is so inclusive, make it your own. And that's the story that I tell with all of my posts, right. not paleo, paleo you. I don't give a crap what you eat. I right. give a crap that you care what you eat. So I don't know. I just think I'm an, an example, not necessarily. I don't, I guess I just don't want the responsibility of being called. Yeah, here. I get that. I get that. <clears throat> you are. And whether you like it or not, you are. Damn it. <laughs> Sorry. You're squirming in your seat right now. I reject the statement. So I'm like, <laughs> don't get up and leave, please. <laughs> be quiet now. <laughs> um, um, so how were you a private chef before you became a private chef? Like, were you trained as a chef? No, not at all. Huh. Not even a little bit. So how did you, I mean, most, <laughs> I can't imagine having someone pay me to chef for them. So yeah, it's, um, how did that come about? I don't know how to replicate the process. So corporate America, 10 years since I was a teenager, um, did really well in that. Never hated my job. I liked my job. I liked showing up to work, loved my team. Uh, and But my whole life, I've always been sick. I always had migraines, skin conditions, hormone is- issues. And uh, it got to a point where I realized I was putting way too much trust in the hands of my doctors. Did the, te- did the tech part, was that a, your, did you have a degree in that in co- from college? Like, I'm what a high was school your... dropout. Okay. So you went from... I'm the first person in my entire family to not go to go back. to college. We got to go way back. <laughs> I'm like the opposite story Where'd you here. Go, where'd you grow up? <laughs> okay, 1985, there's a snowstorm in New Hampshire. <laughs> was born there, raised in uh, Nashua for a little while. And then my, my mom's a biochemist, my dad's an engineer. They came to California, came here when I was 
Am, Amgen? Six, seven or did eight. Did they have a job at Amgen or something, or where did they? What did they do? My mom was IBM, the oh, research okay. center, and uh-huh. then my dad was a VP of operations and communications globally for a, a computer software company. I remember like playing and building computers for fun in the garage with cool. all of his leftover parts. Um, they're, I'm first generation. They're Egyptian. So they came to California. It was raised in San Jose. I give them a hard time all the time for that, only because my mom could throw a stone from her balcony into the Mediterranean. And I'm always like, so you came here to give me a better life. And you moved and you to San, San Jose. Jose. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Okay, mom. Can we go back maybe to the Mediterranean? <laughs> Like Santa Barbara, right. Malibu, something a little bit more like that. So it was raised in San Jose, uh, was really quiet kid until I went to public school, only because I got bullied like my first day of school, having dirty skin and awful hair. And I was like, okay, well, definitely not going to be playing with the girls. So I'm going right. to go try to play sports with the boys. And did you, you had brothers and sisters? Yeah, I have a younger brother and younger sister. Okay. My brother and I are three years apart. My sister and I are 10 years apart. I uh, did well with, with the playing sports in school, became really assertive because can't cry in front of the girls who are bullying you. Right. Uh, the headache started in second grade, which is around the same time that uh, I was eating school lunches versus my mom's food. Wow. And I was eating school lunches because people were making fun of me for having falafels for lunch. <laughs> oh, wow. wow. And I look now, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. I was now <clears throat> eating crap. Yeah. But didn't know any of that at the time. Yeah. So migraines just became a normal part of my life. I think around seventh or eighth grade, I made a deal with God. I was like, okay, look, if I'm going to have these headaches every single day, just make sure someone else in the world is suffering less. And mm-hmm. making that deal made me feel a little bit better about being in pain all the time. Did your parents know? I mean, did you try to get it oh, yeah. on doctors? Oh, yeah. Doctors stumped, told me it was psychosomatic. Um, I would be vomiting in class from the migraine. They'd send me to the nurse's office. The nurse would take my temperature. I don't have a temperature, so they think I'm lying, and right. they send me back to class. I there was I only had my name on the board once. I'm very upset about this still. <laughs> I finished the test early. And she wanted us to uh, read after the test. And I put my head down because I just couldn't. My eyes were hurting too much. And she was telling me I have to read. And I was trying to explain to her that I just don't feel good. I'm like in first or second grade. And she thought that I was being insubordinate. She put my name on the board. I was so upset to this day, obviously. Oh, God. (laughs) Uh, But that was normal. And then I played competitive sports in junior high. And uh, What did you play? Basketball in junior high, volleyball in junior high, and then tennis in high school. But I would have migraines. Before. So you were a team player. I was point guard. And I was setter. <laughs> All right, team leader. I know you don't like I'm that word. Like, How can I like go to another another part of the team? But I would have like migraines. But I I didn't want my migraines to get away in my life. So I would have a head wrap tied around my forehead uh-huh. up until the second I have to get into the game. And then I would mm. go into the game, do what I need to do for a couple of points and be like, Lee, get me out, get me out. I can't see again. <laughs> and that's just wow. like, I'm, I had amazing coaches that understood that about me, that knew that I wasn't going to sit sideline when I'm in pain. I'm going to figure out a way to push through it. Yeah. Uh, high school, the bullying never got any better. And I just got bored and tired with of it. So I dropped out unbeknownst to my mom at first. Wow. <laughs> Wow. And then uh, tried to do a semester in college. 
and by trying to do it. Senior year, you dropped out, or junior year, junior March year. of my junior year, because huh. I went to go see my counselor to understand like what's going to go on. What colleges do I want to go to? Do I want to play tennis? And she was telling me that that's like the first quarter of high school. She goes, "Oh, you just need one more class to have your credits." And I go. One more class next year. She's like, no, no, no. You actually, because I was in a lot of honors classes. She's like, you literally just need one more class and you'll fulfilled all your credits for high school. I'm like, and you want me to be here for a year and a half? Right. For right, one. Right. I'm out. <laughs> Where do I sign mm-hmm. my mom's signature? <laughs> <laughs> wow. And uh, I don't I don't know if my mom has forgiven me yet. She loves me no matter what, right? That's the rule. <laughs> I don't know if it's a rule. <laughs> uh, you certainly can love her no matter what. It's a rule. It's a rule. It's a rule. Yeah. All right. She loves you no matter what. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I had every intention of just continuing on in, in just going straight to college from that point. Mm-hmm. But I, I signed up for a semester at De Anza, uh, which is a, a JC. I went to one class and just had a horrible panic attack in class. I'm like, this just isn't for me. So I, I finished my credits by myself and got my diploma later on, just mm-hmm. on paper. Like a GED, like that kind of thing? Proficiency diploma, which is equivalent yeah. to a high school diploma. Right. Uh, minus having to take, you take a test equivalent to the SATs, but it's not the SATs. Yeah. Uh, and I also, really, like, I, I avoid any group celebration. So like, I didn't want to, it gave me the option to walk across stage. I'm like, I don't want to do that. Right. Like, even in corporate America, they'd have celebrations for top sales rep, which was always me, obviously. But I never wanted to be part of those things. So uh, I started doing some sort of uh, property management as a way to make money because I also moved out when I was 17, unrelated to the dropping out. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't kick you out? No. no, no. I, <laughs> what, I, what did they do? What was that conversation like? Did you um, tell your mom? Did she find out? I told her. Uh I'm really, really, really lucky. My life has not been easy. I always say my life is not paved in gold, but my attitude is platinum, which is ultimately just gets me wherever I need to go, just having that that positive perspective. But while I may not be traditional in the eyes of my parents, and they may have wanted other things because everyone's a doctor, a lawyer, architect, all those things, they've never asked me to be anything other than myself, which I mm. think is not common. Right. And right. I I know unconditional love, and my parents let me figure things out. They've done that with my brother and sister as well. They just let us figure things out. I think ultimately they know the secret was which all roads lead back to home. And if you fall, you get being happy is more important than an accolade. So at first my mom, for many years, she was waiting for me to, you know, go back to school. Right. At this point, I think she understands that's never going to happen. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, then I got a call from a recruiter because I'd sent my resume out to go uh, interview for what I thought was a customer service role at a company called Verisign. Mm-hmm. And oh, I know Verisign. Uh, yeah. I got the job. I didn't tell them I wasn't 18. And, and I didn't know it was commission based. I didn't know any, I just thought I had a customer service role. I'm like, I love customers. Mm-hmm. I can do with customers all day long. Right. And uh, a month and a half into it, because I was <clears throat> uh, just a contractor, uh, you don't get the uh, weekly and monthly updates for numbers because you're still a contractor. So I was getting all these pings saying, you know, good job, rookie, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, I don't know what you guys are looking at. And I got an email forwarded to me and it had the name of all the other sales reps. And then it had my name slash contractor because usually contractors don't make this list. Everyone was at 50, 60, 70%. And I was already at 136 or 56% of my quota. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what's a quota? <laughs> and the wow. guy next to me is like, wow. let me show you what quota means. And like, this is your commission. I'm like, what? I'm so rich right now. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> and I was um, 
there up until the eBay acquisition. But that was me understanding that in sales, what you put in is what you get out of it. Right. And having Verisign on my resume opened doors to a lot of other tech opportunities in Silicon Valley. Would they have hired you if they knew you were not 18? I have no idea. Huh. I just didn't know. I mean, wow. to rent my first room, I, I, did, I omitted my age too. Right. I, I just didn't care. Right. And were you, um, that job was a, it was a sales job, but were you in-house or yeah. were you, it was inside sales? Yeah. It was fun because I did inbound leads, outbound leads, and chat. And you had a quota for each one of those. Did you feel like you, you had skill in that area or you just didn't even know what you had skill in? You were just like... I was I just can... showing up. Right. And in a good mood. I, I got called into HR one week for being too kind. Huh. I bought the team pizza and apparently that upset somebody. And then I'm like, okay, okay, then I'll just not be so good morning anymore. Then I got called in a week later for being a recluse. I'm like, what do you, that's when I started to understand corporate politics is a bunch of fucking bullshit. Right. And I'm like, I don't, what, what, can I just show up and do my job? And that was all, that unfortunately was the beginning of (sighs) dealing with a lot of corporate politics. Well, you know what? I want to go back to the headaches. Were the headaches still going on at this point? And I'm ignoring them. So VeriSign. So you got really, really good at ignoring your headaches. Yes. So I, when I, my first or no, my second week, I want to say Veris is a long time ago. I don't, whatever week it was, I had human resources give me a stand up desk, which definitely was unheard of back then. Right, right. <laughs> I bought this an endo in, board. This is in like 2008. 2008. No. no, I don't know. <laughs> 2004 or 5? Okay. I'm 31. I'll be 32 soon. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I got an endo board. Endo board is the balance board? Yeah. Yeah. I got that because I wanted to impress a boy at work, a man at work, a man. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I would, take naps underneath my desk in the dark when my headaches would get too bad. Wow. So I'd have my stand-up desk and then the headache would come too much and I would either have sunglasses or go underneath my desk. There was a manager of mine, we had four or five managers, one of them, she had migraines too. So sometimes we would go take like naps, co-naps in the car and then Mm -hmm. one of us would be responsible for waking the other up. So I at least had someone else that had migraines and she she, since then has gone paleo and she's like, I wish I knew this stuff back then. I'm like, I wish I knew this stuff back then. Right. So... That's for me. It was just status quo. The yeah, the yeah. being in pain, the weird <clears throat> skin conditions. So pain was all the time, and sometimes it got worse, and which is when you had to take a break. Yeah, and sometimes I'd be hospitalized. I'd be I'd be vomiting, and my one time my roommate's boyfriend had come home to grab something for her, and he found me passed out and vomit because wow. I would been vomiting so much I was dehydrated and blacked out, right. and you get rushed to the hospital and. When you're young and you're vomiting and you're not really there, they assume you're on drugs. Yep. And you're trying to explain to them it's just a headache and it sounds so insane to them that right. they're still drilling you about what drugs you take and you feel betrayed because you're like, I'm in such a square, no. Right, right, right. And they wouldn't be able to find a vein. They'd have to do the IV in my foot because I was that dehydrated. Do, um, do you think that still is prevalent today? What? Is still the, still the case with, high, with headaches like, do you think that's made, they've made any advances in medicine and they would still treat somebody with migraines the same way that they did, you know, 12 I years ago? I don't know because there's so much more talk about the way your whole life is, like yeah. eating and fitness. But I also live in California where we get more of the cutting edge right. advancements. Right. So maybe, yes, it would be treated different here, here in California, Austin, right. New York. But anywhere else, <clears throat> I think it's give them a pill. Yeah. One doctor uh, gave me antipsychotics. Wow. 
I'm like, what the fuck is this? What? What is this? And he's like, I just figured maybe you were depressed. I'm like, no, I'm angry. <laughs> I'm angry now. Uh, my head hurts. They like they, for my skin stuff. They would give me um, steroids, and I would just be even more sick from that. Yeah. Okay, so um, you're at Veris- Verisign. Verisign got acquired by eBay. Yeah. Do you lost your job, or you what, ha- what happened? I had the point? option to. I feel like the epitome of missed opportunities. I had the option to go and work at PayPal at eBay. Wow. Which would have been really smart. Yeah. But I'm young, and I'm like, I don't know. Like maybe I want to do I'll, I'll do other stuff. Right. Um. Before social media marketing was called social media marketing, I moved down to LA for a year, helped this photographer build out his portfolio, increased his sales by 800 percent using a little thing called MySpace for marketing. Mm-hmm. And I would tell people, this is free marketing, you right. guys. So this is let's see. Um, Facebook started in 2004, right? 2003. I want to say so. And I knew that it was more college focused. Yep. And I didn't go to college, so I didn't know that. MySpace was big when I started the gym. Becca, my, one of my second in command at CFLA when I first started, Patronic Fitness, she was big in MySpace. Yeah. She, she, she'd gone to USC film school and was always big in social media. And so she was my kind of portal to MySpace and then yeah. to Facebook. And she taught me my first, you know, my first introduction to Facebook was through her. Yeah. And I just ignored MySpace because I saw MySpace as kind of the downward trend and Facebook as the upward trend. Yeah. Fortunately, I was right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I could have been totally wrong, but... Um, Still exists today. MySpace does? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. But I, I kind of missed it because I... I, I like the customization that I, of it. I, I decided like, I that I coding. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, look at my fancy CSS overlay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I did that for that photographer and built out his business and, and refined his sales process because mm-hmm. I clearly had a knack for it. Then I came back because uh, my father became ill suddenly. So I came back from Los Angeles and then started working in a company called Lyris. And Lyris is an email service provider, content management, SEO, uh, and and paid marketing as well. And I was doing lead gen for them and moved up fairly quickly into a sales role and then started to use Twitter as a way to get them leads Mm -hmm. and started to create a social media arm for them. And at the time they told me social media was bullshit and going nowhere. Right. And I said, that's cute. (laughs) (laughs) That's cute and I'll still do it. Yeah. I'm I'm sorry. I'm bringing you in uh, huge deals off of Twitter conversations. You don't have to buy into what you're calling is bullshit. I'm bringing in deals. And it got to a point where they had no choice but to take that stuff seriously because more clients were asking for consulting to feed into their uh, email campaigns. So I did that and still had stupid corporate politics to deal with. Every time a new VP came in because I was the youngest, they would rip my leads from me. And I had one guy tell me that I was an asshole and should be thankful for how much I make as a woman who's not educated. Wow. Stanford graduate. Wow. Good, good, good guy. Right. And you have to, so I'm dealing with being sick. I'm dealing with, with stuff I just don't even understand and don't want to try to understand. And then I'm also just trying to do my job. Yeah. Um, this is 2008? Yeah. 2008, I'm losing track of time. I've heard that happens after you turn 30. <laughs> Dude, you have, so, you have so much further to go. I'm, tur- I'm turning 50 in three months. Congratulations. So like 30, like you, you're like a... <laughs> 31, damn it. <laughs> You're a baby. <laughs> um, and the CEO there, CEO, and my senior vice president, the good one, um, when they would go to other companies, they would take me with them to build out the sales teams. And then I would get bored. I get bored after every two years and, and leave right. somewhere right. else, which some people would view as a flight hazard. 
or rather I was called a flight hazard, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I just got bored. And ultimately when it came time to leave, to choose between paleo chef or corporate America, I went to my boss's desk. I'm like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to do paleo chef full time. I I think I'm, I'm going to resign. And he told me to go back to my desk. (laughs) (laughs) Nice response. I'm like, no, I got to go for real. And he's like, I knew this day would come like, Let's make this transition easy for you. you this can, is still at Lyris or this was a new place? New place, same boss. Oh, and wow. um, he's like, you know, work remote for a month. Uh, teach me about the deals that we have open. Mm-hmm. And I, I'll do as much as I can to support bringing those deals in and then build that out because that's what you were clearly meant to do. And, and yeah. I, when that got, when it got shared around with other managers and founders of other companies that n- I guess they were all just waiting for me to start something on my own. I got really encouraged. I mean, I got a couple emails from people telling me I was making the biz- biggest mistake of my life and mm-hmm. whatever. Those people are still doing the same thing that they were doing back then. But I also, there's one particular founder of a company that I really respect. And he doesn't really pay a lot of attention to people because he's the founder and he's doing all this stuff. We, mm-hmm. I mean, we have a, a CEO, but he sent me an email and he's like, he's like, I, I could tell from the way you would respond to things in our meetings that you have an entrepreneurial spirit. And I'm so glad you found something to do with that because this is what you're meant to do. And those are not typical emails that you get um, leaving some company. So the transition didn't seem scary. Didn't, would it, even if I didn't have their support, it wouldn't have seemed scary, but I liked having some of those encouraging words. So when did the headaches stop? Or when did like, because somewhere in there we lost the headaches. Yeah, right? so. Uh, the dates aren't really that important. We just know it's somewhere in that time. Yeah, it was roughly around the 2010 World Series. Oh, wow. <laughs> roughly. <laughs> yeah, because I remember I didn't know, Paleo didn't know my diagnosis and uh, during, I was a game two of the World Series, and I was... Who was, who was playing? What was the... The San Francisco Giants had made it to the World Series for the first time as a California team. Um, and no, that's not the first time. Is it? Is it the first time? That we won the World Series? That you won the World Series. Yeah, because yeah, I was in the year of the earthquake. Was that 94? No, no, no. The 89 earthquake. The big, the big earthquake in San Francisco. Which I just don't remember. I think I was too young. Yeah, I was there. Um, I wasn't at the game, but I was in Monterey. Yeah. And we were on our way driving down to go watch the game on TV because it was the Giants versus the um, the Oakland A's. Yeah. And uh, I had one of those hats that had every little section of the hat was a different color. For you know, if you couldn't decide if you were for the Giants <laughs> or for the A's, <laughs> so you couldn't decide. I had both. Well, I didn't care. I mean, either <laughs> from, I'm from Baltimore. <laughs> Orioles were always my okay. team. Um, but uh, that was the day the game got stopped and the earthquake hit. Yeah. And, um, so they were in the World Series, but they hadn't won the World Series. Yeah, got yeah. it. Got it. Uh, shortly after that is <clears throat> when I had gotten tired of all the false diagnosis. Like they told me I had cancer and lupus, and I was going in and getting tons of blood drawn. Mm-hmm. They told me I had mercury toxicity. And as a joke, my employees, my employees, my team members, took a picture of me off of my Facebook where I was sticking out my tongue and blew it out the size of the wall, and they played pin the sushi on Mary's tongue at work. <laughs> Because I was told I can't have sushi anymore because it was mercury toxicity. That is hilarious. Um, and we made fun of all my skin conditions and right. sickness. And I mean, that's right. what I'm, humor for me is everything. Uh, so I, I found out about uh, the TED Talk by Dr. Cherry Walls about the mitochondria. Yep. 
it made sense. I did a report on the mitochondria in high school where my partner and I rewrote the words to a Beastie Boy song about the mitochondria. And I'm like, mm. oh, I do this the whole fucking time. Uh, so I send out my lab work to a, a lab that did stool testing and cheek swab because I'd only ever done blood testing. And I learned mm. that those are highly inconclusive tests. Uh, that came back that I was a celiac, that I was also intolerant to casein and soy. And at the same time doing all that research, I found this word paleo. And I'm like, oh, that's just so much easier to say than going through the list of things. Yep. And after a couple of months of that, I woke up one day for the first time without a headache. And I was confused. <laughs> Felt mm. like a trick. Like I was shaking my head around waiting for that feeling to come back. Did you usually get it around a certain time? Like 9 a.m. it would hit or 8 a.m. it would hit? It was, or... I would always have a headache. Just all the time. Yeah. I you woke would, up and you had a headache. Just always had a low-grade headache. I'd have a migraine once or twice a week. My stomach always hurt. I I think back, like, I always would say, oh, my stomach hurts. Oh, my head hurts. And I probably sounded really annoying to everyone around me. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like back pain. You know, it's like in the Marines, <laughs> yeah. the, the way to get out of anything in the Marines is yeah. to, to claim you have back pain. Like, you, you can't, there's nothing you can do with back pain. There's nothing you can do about back pain. I got back pain. My back hurts. Like, what are you going to do? How do you? <laughs> Noted. <laughs> so if you ever join the Marines yeah. and you want to get out of a force march, you just claim you have back pain. Okay. You're good. What is back pain? I have back pain right now. Yeah, I don't exactly. Know what to do with what, it. Exactly. What is back pain? I don't know. Is it a cramp? Is it a muscle spasm? It could is be it so just, many things. You've been sitting wrong for three hours? Who knows? I don't know. So that was uh, waking up without a headache. Um, I've I'm always been someone who shows up with a lot of energy, as well as a, a, I'm kind of a dork. I'm I'm always cracking jokes, but apparently it was different. I was more present, and people were asking me, "What are you doing differently?" And what uh, did you? So how? What did you change, and how quickly did you notice the difference? When in, like was it one day? Was twenty four hours? Was it- within a week? I started to notice a difference. Wow. Um, I was pumped. Like I got my diagnosis. So I had a couple of friends take the, those tests after me and they got their diagnosis and they were celiac and they were crying. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You know what to do now. Right. I was so pumped. I'm like, okay, I just won't eat these things. Were I they upset because they were like, oh, I can't eat so-and-so forever anymore or? <sighs> okay. I have my politically correct response and then I have my like, I just think some people like to be a victim. Right. They just right. like like to be like, oh, there's something wrong with me. Doomsday. Right. What am I going to do? And I'm like... Right. God, you have arms and legs and you can see color. Hi, honey. <laughs> Hi. My wife just walked in with Bella. Yeah, she's fine. She's great. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so I, I, again, my attitude is platinum. My path is not gold, but I have right. a good outlook. So I was pumped. I just changed the way. I okay, cut this out, cut that out. At first, I cut out just gluten and dairy. And I was doing goat's dairy and I was like, okay, I feel like I can do more. So I was cutting out quinoa and rice and then doing all dairy. And I'm like, okay, this feels better. So every time I felt good or better, I wanted to see how much I could push that better yep. until I was like, okay, then I know this is the, the thing that I want to subscribe to. Right. And somebody noticed and I was having a chat with them because outside of all of this, like I've done hospice counseling um, since I was 16. I would go and volunteer wow. that time. I've done at-risk teen counseling. I've done domestic violence counseling and in corporate America that always put me in a role like, can you teach so-and-so manager how to communicate more effectively with the engineers? So I've always been in this role of like, let me talk to someone and, and more, more more than just the, the job at hand. So I was having a one-on-one with someone talking about their business. I did business consulting as well. And they asked me the way that you're eating, you're, what's going on? Seems to be helping you. Could it help me? I'm too busy. Can you just cook for me? And I'm like, I don't cook for people. I, I, 
we're on multi-million dollar contracts. Sorry, dude. <laughs> and uh, and he's like, well, you know, like basically takes out a checkbook and goes, this is how much I'm willing to pay a private chef. And so I suddenly grow this like invisible beard and start stroking it like, wait, <laughs> <laughs> this is interesting. I, this, I could do this. <laughs> so I tried to do both for a few months. Uh, he was my first client that I had a couple other clients that found me because I, I went home and built a website called personalpaleochef.com. Uh, but did you know what you were doing? I was cooking food. What do you mean? Well, like, like the, yeah, but okay. Like if I think about me creating a website that says personal paleo chef or whatever it is you would say, I cook eggs really well. Sure. I cook, I can, I can make a very clean dinner. Yeah. You know, I know how to cook vegetables. I, I can know how to spit cook a meat. lamb in your front how, yard. Yeah, you could. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. That's kind of cool. <laughs> um, but I, like I, but I would not. I wouldn't feel like I knew the nuances of flavors and spices and putting all the things together in a way that would make someone else confident that I knew what the hell I was doing. Like, how did you get if, that? I don't know. Did you? Did your mom? Did you? Was it? I mean, I know how to cook. Your, yeah, I mean, being so Middle you Eastern, you learn how to cook. You know how mom? to cook from a young age. Yeah. Um, I also believe in figuring things out. So if someone's like, I want, I had one client. This is later on. I mean, to Martha's Vineyard to cook for his family for the week. Mm-hmm. And Papa wanted a, a paleo raspberry chiffon cake. Wow. And I'm like, no problem, Google. <laughs> right. Okay, that's how you make it the normal way. Now let me paleofy that. Right. And they were pumped because I just said, you just figure it out. Right. I don't, um, I don't know. Did anything I, not, has anything not turned out? Like if you had had that situation happen and like it just was a disaster? I've never had a disaster. I've had disaster things happen and I had to work around them. Like recently I had, um, so a majority of my clients I have NDAs with. Like they're super high profile. I'm so yeah. humbled that they find me and want to work with me. But there was one that I, I went out to cook. Uh, it was a, like another vacation gig and it was all these heavy hitters from my old world where I'm like, yes, yeah, my world. Mm-hmm. Day one, the oven is broken. And the menu has been pre-selected and the meat has been purchased and it's all meat that needs to roast for like 12 to 14 hours and the oven is broken. Whoa. And I am not someone who has a smile on her face all the time. I, I will be, I tell clients when they're like, I just want you to know if you're looking for this white tablecloth, cheery chef, I'm not the chef for you. Yeah. So I'm like angry, like I need a man to go figure this out right now <laughs> if we're going to have dinner. I was going to say, did you light a fire? Like what did you so do? So I, I, I basically created <clears throat> like a stovetop slow cooker. Because the oven wasn't working, but mm-hmm. I had gas for the stove up top. Oh, so okay. I, I, I had to just increase cooking time for a lot of things. Or um, the only time I had something not turn out the way I wanted it to was a, a client with whom I, I fire a lot of clients. If, if mm. things aren't jiving or I just don't like being around you, uh, I just don't want to cook for you anymore. And, and I just was annoyed with this client. I didn't like the what he was doing doing with his life and the way he was treating his friends in the room. And because I was in a bad mood, the food, no matter how hard I try, couldn't come out the way I wanted it to. Right, right. Um, which is why I'm very selective about who I work with because that's going to come out in the food 100%. Yeah. The th- irony is that I don't know what most people eat on a regular basis because sometimes my worst meal will be their best meal. Right. So I don't, maybe it's because I work with more spices but I've had many situations where that has happened where someone's asked me to cook something and I'd never cooked it before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's always fun. I got caught once talking to myself about not cooking a meal once. You mean like, what do you mean talking to I yourself? Talk, I talk to myself. <laughs> <laughs> While you're cooking? Yeah. So I got I, this, the whole story of this is on my website. 
um, and it's it's related to hunter's pie. And I called it hunter's pie because this particular client had hunted a caribou. And I had wow. gone over to cook for him and a few gentlemen that were going to come over for dinner. And said, you know, I have stuff in the house that I want you to cook with. I wasn't told it was going to be caribou, much less caribou that had been hunted. Mm-hmm. Where like there's like in the freezer, there's still like the caribou legs. Wow. <laughs> like, wow. What do I do with this? <laughs> the whole, the whole legs. The with whole the thing. With the fur, everything. The whole thing. So Jeez. I go, I, you know, really popular comfort food is, is shepherd's pie. So I'm going to do a hunter's pie, a little cheeky twist on it. And I took out the ground and... I was like, okay, this is, I, I, I understand that meat you hunt is really lean, so let me cut this with baking fat and with butter and let me pull together what frozen breath for vegetables. And, but I was doing all this and I had put it in the oven and I was talking to myself and I, I, I said, you know, oh, I hope this turns out okay. And he happened to walk in the kitchen. He goes, what? And I go, oh, I've never made caribou before. And he goes, I have guests coming. And I go, dude, dude, I know food. I got this. I got this. Got to move on to the chocolate, the chocolate mousse here. And it comes out and I take a bite. When it comes out, I'm like, I am amazing. I am so good. And uh, I had served them their dishes. And this is before I understand, uh, understood some of the formalities. Like you're supposed to go and tell them, oh, tonight we'll be having da da da. So I put it on the table <clears throat> and he was like, hey, can you tell us what this is? I go, it's Hunter's Pie. He goes, can you tell us more? I go, oh, yes. da 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 I go, I hope you guys enjoy. And the gentleman had gone back for seconds and thirds. Wow. Wow. You mean that your client or their guests? All of them. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That was also earlier on. So, so, um, I don't, I just know how to cook food. Mm -hmm. I don't want to take away from maybe I have a talent. Does it come easy to you? Yeah. You just really just, just comes. Yeah. You just figure it out. Yeah. And I, I don't know how to make the same dish twice. I don't use recipes. Oh, really? So if I'm going to make a, a tomato sauce, for example, the way I make it will be different every single time because wow. it depends on the state of that particular tomato. Right. Because if it's right. overly ripe, I've got to do this to bring it down. If it's underripe, I've got to do this to elevate it. Hmm. Wow, that's cool. It's fun. So you don't ever use recipes? You're not coming out with the Paleo Chef I recipe book? I have to book. come out with a book. It's very... <laughs> I have to because I have enough people on my butt about it. So I have an agent and an editor that reached out to me. I'm lucky the editor is a friend of mine who's been pushing me to do a cookbook for a while. And they're being very patient with the fact that I'm like dragging my feet. I've done the outline of like 100 recipes. They're all going to have anecdotal stuff about Mary the Paleo Chef. And once I dive into the the meat of it, I'm going to have to have somebody in the room with me. Just like, could you measure everything that I do? Right, right. Because I'm going to have a hard time doing both. Right. Um, those are, that's my flaws. Like I'm dragging my feet on yet another great opportunity. Now, are you are, are you writing the book? Are you writing the anecdotes? Or you got somebody else that's doing no, it for you? No, it's all me. It's all you. Yeah. So have, has that been part of your daily routine now? Are you writing on a regular basis? Again, this is I'm awful. I'm get, I, get a, yeah. I get the agent sent out a tweet a couple of weeks ago. And while I know it wasn't directed at me, I took it super personal. Yeah. He goes, my best clients are ones that uh, do things on time and well. <laughs> so I tweeted back and go, I'm 50% of that, bro. At least my shit's well. <laughs> right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> totally projecting. <laughs> you weren't talking to me, were you? <laughs> uh, I, I have a hard time. It's bullshit that I have to get over. I'm like, oh, you know, I have to feel inspired. No, I just have yeah. to dedicate time to it. But I'm also running Fat Fudge. I also have filming. I also have consulting. I also have speaking engagements. So just last week, I finally hired a real life executive assistant to organize my life. And her wow. first task wow. is figure out what you need to do. <laughs> right. So where, um, 
Okay, so fast forward. Now you're running a business called Fat Fudge. You, you, when, right did you invent, now, yeah. when did you invent Fat Fudge? When did that come about? It wasn't just, it was not until recently that I realized all the pervasive points that brought me to Fat Fudge. When I was still in San Francisco, the Oracle selling team had contacted me to come consult and recommend things for them to eat when they're on the water. Mm-hmm. And I was a big consumer pre-paleo of goo. What do you mean when they're on the water? What are they the doing Oracle sailing the... team when they're practicing out on the water. Oh, the Oracle sailing. I yeah. missed sailing. I missed the sailing Sorry. part. Got it. Um, and they, um, and I was humbled. You know what I, I think you, I thought you said is the selling team. Oh. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. But the sailing team like, <laughs> wouldn't have crossed my no, mind. Let's go sailing. Right, right, right. Those big, the big boats where they're <laughs> yeah. pumping this, the... The racing, the racing yeah. boats. Yeah. The America's Cup. That room is just full of so many attractive men and they all have accents. It's so awesome. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'll come all the time here. What do you need? Absolutely. Um, but so I was I was someone who really enjoyed goo pre-paleo. Yep. Um, and I was trying to think of what could I make them or recommend to them that could be equivalent to goo on the water. And at the time I was like, you know, we could do something with ground up chia seeds and put all the nutrients in there. But I knew that was a need. So that's like checkpoint one when I was still in San Francisco. Then I'm down here in Los Angeles and I am making something called unicorn fuel. And a lot of clients that couldn't get into butter coffee the way that it had been introduced to them, they weren't mm-hmm. like, I want, I want something else. So I made them um, a coffee that was MCT oil, butter, tahini, turmeric, cayenne, maca, cacao, a little bit of honey. And to them, it was this delicious cup of goodness. But to me, I was getting them all these really functional spices yep. in the morning. <clears throat> And I called it unicorn fuel in jest. And the internet took my joke and made it a thing. Mm. So unicorn fuel went viral. All my clients were hooked on it. Um, my readers loved it. Is there a recipe for unicorn fuel? Still up, yeah. Oh, really? It's on your website? Yeah. It was voted best coffee hack of like 2000 and I want to say 14 in Paleo wow. Magazine. Wow. It had oh, only been cool. around for a year. And I'm like, yeah. fast tracking. <laughs> uh, but then the, the next complaint was, what do, how do I get unicorn fuel when I'm traveling? I don't have all those spices when I'm traveling. I'm like, right. okay, I'll have to figure out a solution for that. I'm like, maybe I'll do sach, sachets. Sach, is it the word sachet? Sachet? Sach, Satchels? What do you mean? Sach- packets? Like little yeah. packets? Yeah, what is Is it sachets? I don't know. I'd call it a pack. I mean, I'd call it... Whatever. I what I Words. Yeah. I bet I, bet I would have known this if I went to college. <laughs> I went to college. I have no idea. So yeah, money my, down the drain. My, my partner went to college. He would probably know this. <laughs> nice. So you know, who knows? Um, so I had that in my mind. How am I going to make unicorn fuel portable? Then I have a professional golfer that I was making fat bombs for with tahini and butter and a little bit of collagen. And uh, so these are all things that are kind of separate. Yeah. And then I, do you know what halawa is? Halva? It's a no. Middle Eastern dessert. It's just tahini and honey and it's crystallized. No, I, no I've never heard of it. It's funny because my family is Middle, Middle Eastern. Yeah, I feel like I you would that. you would know. Or I think if you saw it, you know what it is. It, it's almost, it's it's got a powdery look to it, but it also very, can be very creamy when it's warm. Hmm. But so the way you make it is you heat honey at a really high heat. And when it's all bubbly, then you stir in the tahini and then you put that in the fridge for 24 to 36 hours. And it crystallizes this delicious dessert that's just wow. tahini and honey. So I had poorly timed the honey and I didn't want to waste it. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, I'll just make myself some fudge. And I threw in all the ingredients of unicorn fuel in there hmm. and then threw in some butter to cut down the honey. And the next day I was like, this is fucking delicious. And I'm like, no, wait, this is like goo. 
I'm going to cut the honey down. Like I felt like I had discovered Sparta. I'm like, yes, this is amazing. <laughs> so I started to make it for my professional athlete clients. They loved it. When you say cut something down, like you, you've mentioned that a few times in your verbiage. What yeah. Do you, what do you mean by that? Like so, when you cut down, you said you added butter to cut down something else. So like there was a lot of honey in this because I was trying to make it a dessert. So yep. by adding a bunch of butter to it, I'm expanding the size of the recipe yep. that it, the serving sizes, which is then diluting the oh, making serving less concentrated. Of, yes. Yes. Got it. Okay, got it. Uh, so I started making it for those clients. They were coming back and saying, like, I'm having a great day in the field. This is awesome. I have clients who are writing. Like, I, I like, I am on all day. I'm satiated. I'm like, cool. So I shared the recipe. That recipe went viral. People were sending me pictures. Did you call it fat fudge at this point? No, it was something boring, like functional fudge. I'm like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. so douchey. <laughs> right, 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 right. Not like unicorn fuel. No, not at all. Not as catchy. Right. And, uh. People were sending me pictures. Because Have you ever seen the video that uh, Squatty Potty is yeah. done with unicorns? Yeah, they did that after Unicorn Fuel. Really? Yeah. Wow. Because I had Squatty Potty before that video existed. Yeah, I, I, loved, had, I, I love too. my Squatty Potty. Yeah, so do I. And when I saw that video, it's just freaking hilarious, that video. It's I so love funny. it. It's yeah. brilliant on their yeah. behalf. Because the only way to get people talking about Squatty Potty without being like, what? I just bought a new product called the Tushy. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Go on. I mean, it's nothing really that transformative, but for me, it is. It's a, it's like a bidet. You add it to your toilet. Oh yeah, and that's it amazing. Plugs into your toilet. And like every other country. Like every other country, right? Exactly. Like, yeah. why don't we have bidets in the in the United States? I don't know. Because we we make things that shouldn't be uncomfortable uncomfortable. Right. We don't want to talk about anything. We like to push our feelings way down. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Be too cool for school. I think that's why a lot of my uh, this tra- challenge I've been having is I have a lot of friends that tell me I overshare. And uh-huh. I'm too much. I go, too much for who? Right. Just for you, right. American. <laughs> right. Exactly. No, like, it's funny. I posted a video of, uh, have you been to Chicago O'Hare Airport? Yeah. And taken a, going to the bathroom there? No. In the bathrooms, the toilets, it's the only toilet I've ever seen that does this. You push it, you wave your hand in front of this thing, and, and the, the, uh, the wrapping, or like, what do you call it? The... There's Texas a t-shirt? there's a plas- there's a plastic wrap that wraps around the toilet the the toilet seat oh. and it moves so that you get a fresh section of like plastic over top of your toilet seat. Like it's like a it's like the instead of putting down But does the, it really keep the I I, mean, I have no idea. Like is it I fresh like, really or is it just recycling it over and over and, and over again? And is it really a solid piece of plastic or is there still stuff that's like It looks like uh it looks like um Saran wrap but it's not sticky. So, you know, it sure. comes out and it's the whole toilet seat's wrapped sure. and it goes and it's it's it was, it's I think it's very cool. But people when I when I posted it, they're like, oh, that's been around for years. I'm like, really? Where? I don't know. Chicago. I, it's the only place I've ever seen it. It's the only place at a men's room anywhere, like a, maybe in other women's rooms. But I've never um, even heard of that. Well, there you go. Next time you go to Chicago, you go, gotta go to the bathroom. The bathroom. Go straight to the bathroom. <laughs> Instagram stories. <laughs> it's right, totally. It's on my Instagram feed. I got a video of the, of I'm the toilet. I'm going to go look at it. And one of my friends was like, you're the only person I know on Facebook that would post a picture or a video of a toilet. I'm like, why? So my nail salon, they have a sign in the bathroom that says no squatting on the toilet. It's like a diagram. You mean like getting up on yeah, the toilet yeah. and so squatting? Yeah, so they have a diagram yeah. that says yeah. don't do that. And I yeah. took a picture of that. And that upset some people. But I also went back to the salon and bought them a squatty potty. Oh, nice. So I'm like, clearly, right. we've made you I out of your to, own element. So. I used to do that. I used to. So um, back when I was adventure racing, and I was in using, urin, uh, not urinals, but um, portable toilets. Mm-hmm. What are they called? What are they, the, outhouses? Uh, outhouses. Yeah, outhouses. <laughs> I was thinking, whatever, what I was thinking. Um, and I used to, I like, I would like, this is an interesting way to do this. Like, I don't have to 
worry about anybody that's peeing on the seat or any yeah. crap that's on the edges of the toilet. I can just get up on get up on it on my feet. Yeah. You know, squat and poop. Yeah. It's great. And so I used to do that all the time. People thought I was nuts. I did. We talk, talk about how we do it in an airplane. And they're like, what, are you crazy? I'm like, no, it's actually pretty cool. I mean, talking about poop is something I definitely do on first dates because if you're not okay with this conversation, we have I'm no the wrong, future. Right. We have no future. <laughs> so I use it as a great qualifying tool. Yeah, I have no problem talking about poop either on the first. I don't do dates anymore, but right. you know, like it's because normal, tell, normal I, conversation. I tell people you you can tell almost anything you need about your health based on the quality of your stool. Mm-hmm. the stench of your sweat and if you're a woman what's happening every day down there right. like then you know if you're healthy or not and that makes people really uncomfortable yeah like it just makes me feel like there's something wrong and you don't want to talk about it like, i can't wait to install my tushy like i can't <laughs> <laughs> i can't wait to put that thing in because i've never sound i've never used one. as their advertising can't wait to install my tushy <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny is uh i was telling my friend that i got this thing and i thought i'm like what is the name of it what is the name of it and i googled tushy that's a bad idea because yeah. think of what might That's come risky. up when you, yeah. So I did it on my phone yeah. and he happened to be looking over my shoulder Yeah. and it's like a picture of two people having anal sex. Yeah, of I'm course. It's like, of course it is. Yeah. And I'm like, no, 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 really. It's not, <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> Do they spell it tushy? T-U-S-H-Y. Yeah, T-U-S-H-Y. But I think there's something else in the URL. Like I, I think there's. Yeah. I wonder how they're like managing the SEO on that. Yeah, I don't know. Because <laughs> if someone's looking Maybe for anal tushy. sex, are they getting like redirected to this Maybe awesome little Maybe it's like tushy product? toilet or, huh. you know, I don't know exactly. But um, That's risky. It's risky. It was very risky. Because my, it's my brother-in-law, actually. He's looking over my shoulder as I'm bringing this he's up. He's like, oh, like, really? Yeah. He's like, boy, Andy, I didn't know you were into that stuff. I'm like, no, 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 no. Come on. <laughs> That's not what I meant. <laughs> really, I swear. That's what you meant by squatting in the outhouse. <laughs> That's right. Squatty potty is code for what? Yeah. Hilarious. <laughs> Uh, how do we get on the topic of pooping? Um, toilets. Unicorn. You were I telling think unicorn me unicorn fuel. fuel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I asked you about the video, the unicorn video. Yeah. But you were telling me about the name of fat fudge. Oh, okay. So it. So I posted that recipe. Went viral. People were sending me pictures of them making it and putting it in sandwich bags, and mm. taking it on runs with. Them. People mm-hmm. were doing ultra marathons with them. I make no medical claims whatsoever, but I've been so fascinated by the way people have been using it. So you have athletes that are using it. You have mothers postpartum that are using it for helping promote lactating again and losing baby weight. You've got some people who are on chemotherapy and it's the only food they can hold down. Hmm. So there were all these people making it and telling me how they were using it and asking me to turn it into a product. Now, was there caffeine in it at the time? Was it, did it the recipe already... that I still have public, I still have my recipe public, is the base recipe, which is no caffeine. So that's what they were making. Okay. And then I said, sometimes I like to add these things to it. Oh, got it. Um, <clears throat> and I always say, or I'd hashtag, fat makes you fat. Fat makes you P-H-A-T. Uh-huh. And I'm like, it's fat. We're just going to call it fat fudge now. That's yeah. what it's going to be. And... Uh, I started to get a lot of inquiries about, you know, just turn into a product. I would much rather buy it from you than make it myself. Yeah. Like, it's like, almost like that private chef conversation. I'm like, I don't private, I don't pack fudge. Like, <laughs> private, I'm a you private. don't pack fudge. I do now. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking supreme CEO of fudge packing. I am a fudge packer. <laughs> so I, uh, I didn't know really what to do, but much like my, I don't know, my whole life, everything that matters in my life came after fuck it. Like, there's just so much magic right. on the other side of fuck it. <clears throat> so I looked at, okay, what would a, a fair price be per packet? How would I make this? Okay, bought a 
heat sealer on Amazon, bought a bunch of plastic to turn into those little baggies. Yep. So then I, on, I launched it on Periscope. I put on oh, cool. my unicorn head. I have a unicorn head, of course. And I went on Periscope and said, okay, there are 50 orders of 12 packs available on a website right now. If you want to buy it, we'll see what happens. So with no real warning, that sold out in one hour, 50 orders. Wow. And what was most impressive was who was ordering it. I am constantly humbled and a little bit nervous by, I don't have a massive following by comparison to other um, influencers, mm -hmm. but the people that follow me kind of fucking scare me. Because I'm all, every once in a while I'm like, oh, are they going to unfollow me because I said something stupid? So the people that were my initial orders, a handful of them were famous people that I respect for what they do. And I'm like, yeah. whoa, can't fuck this up now. They're your right, first customers. Right, right, right. So I, I figured how'd they out. Know, how'd they know? Like, how'd they find you on Periscope? Like, is that a... Um, I don't... People like to watch my shenanigans for some reason. I don't huh. know. Huh. So Were you a known entity on Periscope at the time? No, I posted to Instagram that I'm doing this on Periscope and everyone on Instagram hopped over onto Periscope. And this is 2014? No, this was... Year and a half ago? Not that long ago. Yeah. This is okay. still fairly new for me. So I figured out how to pack those at 600 packets that I had to hand pack. Mm -hmm. And then I, I did some cost analysis. Like, oh, shit, got to sell this for more because I'm definitely not making enough money on this. Right, right. And I was doing 50 orders every Monday. Batching with a squeeze bottle, squeezing it, sealing mm -hmm. it. Shipping it myself. How long did that does it take to do a batch of? God, two or three days to do a Whoa. full fifty order because it's six hundred packets, and I can only do so many per second. Yep. So I did that every Monday for however many months until every Monday it was selling out in under a second, and people were getting angry. What I was do you getting mean, in a second. How, I would be really? like, because I say every Monday morning, You'd open at this it time, up at a certain and time, and people had calendar reminders. Wow. People would be pissed off. I got one comment like, this is worse than a fucking Beyonce ticket. Like so angry. And I'm like, okay, we'll have to figure out how to scale. Were you doing all the order delivery also? Yes. Like the going to the mailbox? and yes. Oh, Do you want man. to see something? Fulfillment? I'm going to yeah. put the mic down after I say this. All right. So ultimately, I have hand-packed 10,000 packets of fudge. This is, you can go to the at Fat Fudge on Instagram and you can see the picture I posted this. I'm going to show you my hand-packing muscle. Okay. 10,000 packets. All right. You see that? Yep. Do you see how small it is? In oh, wow. Hand? Yeah. Yeah. 10,000 packets of fudge. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so at that point, obviously, there's something viable here. I need to turn it into something that's scalable. I'm uh, investor adverse. I don't want an investor. I want to mm -hmm. do it by myself. I don't want to take a loan. I want to do it by myself. Yeah. Um, so I found a co-packer. They have high minimums. And I was, I'm, mm. I'm. Did you say a co-packer? Co-packer. So What's someone co that's going to blend it to scale, like at a large scale and oh, then have a okay. machine that does it. Like some of these machines. Like pack, a like a kitchen, like a. Manufacturing. A manufacturing kitchen. Like they kitchen, do, yeah. like the machines can pack 3,000 packets in a minute, which makes Whoa. me feel like an asshole. <laughs> right, right. It's like the so these are, from these cast, are machines. Castaway? Yeah, go ahead. Or is it Castaway with Tom Hanks? With the, with the volleyball? With the volleyball Yeah, and head? he's like, he has a lighter in his hand at the end, and he's like, it's so easy just to turn up this yes, lighter. Yes, like, yes, 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 totally. Right. That machine. So these are these are machines that are designed to do like goo. Yeah. Like power, like power gel not, or goo not, or... Not packets, like all, yeah. all the whole industry of packing individual packets. Yeah. It was hard enough finding the right person. I've had to go through three of them since then. And the manufacturing world is a nightmare. What makes is, the right person? Like what makes, what makes one different from another? So you have... There's a, a ways to, for people to cut corn. So going through the process of building a, a consumer goods product, I have now learned how easy it is for someone to cut corners to build their product hmm. and the customer doesn't have to know. 
Yeah. And I hate that. So as soon as someone recommends me cutting a corner, I don't trust their practices and I'm going to, I'm going to work with somebody else. Wow. And what kind of corners can you cut that somebody wouldn't know about? You can not use organic ingredients and say it's organic. You can import and change your ingredient list later. No one's checking. No one. The only way it gets checked is if some consumer is like, I want to go get this tested. But then that consumer has to spend the thousands of dollars to get it tested. Right. So it's only until someone has a concern. Um, a gluten. So I need a certified gluten-free facility because I'm celiac and that's very important to me. Not all of them are like that. Um, You've got, it's an old school boys club mentality. Like I've had some not great interactions with some of the CEOs of these manufacturing companies where Mm -hmm. I'm like, one called me darling and and he made it, he made a $20,000 error and then told me that darling, this is just how we do business. Wow. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm going to set a new standard. This is not how I do business. So going through you that. You still do business with him? No. That, after that conversation, I was done. Right. Short of driving out there with a shotgun and to really take care of the old-fashioned right, right, way, right. I was like, I'm done right. with this. And moved everything <laughs> off-site to a new person. So that's challenging in itself, finding someone that will do it. But then it's also, they have very high minimums. So a minimum right. of 50,000 packets to them is small fries because they're doing things oh. for... Lay's and Starbucks. They have yep. clients that have these huge... So you're just a little guy. They don't really care about you. Yep. <clears throat> but even though you have that... Even though you'll find someone who wanted that minimum, running something like that it was, is roughly forty eight dollars to $50,000 to run it. And what do you mean? Run it one time or run it... To run, so to run 50,000 packets costs roughly $50,000. Oh, I see. Okay. And again, <clears throat> I'm not taking an investor. I'm not taking a loan. I want to figure out how to do this by myself. So, is there a shelf life on the packets once they're packaged? Yeah. So th- right now it's three to six months. Okay. Is That's the a big shelf life variety? Yeah. So it, it's 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 six months formally, but I tell people it's three months because okay. I just want you to have a fresh packet. Right, right. Um, and then I say, because that's in the wild. Like, in the, what I mean by in the wild is you could have the packet in your pocket for three months and it's fine. Right. If you put it in the freezer, it's good for a year if you're okay. storing it there. Right. Because again, it's meant for people who are camping, hunting, those yep. types of things. So you'll see on the Instagram, much like my telling my story of transitioning from corporate America to being an entrepreneur, I showed every, and I'm still showing because I'm still in it, every challenge, every decision, every behind the scenes of taking fat fudge from recipe to consumer product. Hmm. So I was just really open with my readers and I said, here's a deal. They have really high minimums. I don't want investors. I'll give you 30 days to pre-order and Hmm. your pre-orders, understanding it might take several months to get your order, that this is going to help launch a much big, bigger product that I can scale. So all I needed, I said, you know, I really don't need that much. If you guys bring up a certain dollar amount of sales, I'll cover the rest. In 30 days, I did $90,000 in pre-orders, wow. which wow. was my ability to kickstart this business. And I chose not to do Kickstarter because I wanted to be held accountable for these units. A lot mm-hmm. of Kickstarters are successful and there is no follow through. Like, yeah. Where does that money go? <clears throat> yeah. See, like, see that you're on vacation, just had a really nice wedding. Right. Is that where my money went? <laughs> so I wanted, I wanted my customers and my readers to feel that I'm going to be held accountable to these orders and I would refund everybody if these didn't come through. So... That's how it started, was me doing it almost the old-fashioned way, almost like being a corner store and telling my community, you got to keep the doors open, guys, yeah, come right, in. Right. And I'm well, because really... you're sharing every step of your journey, too. Like, it's very, you're a very open book. You're very yes. transparent. So it's got that feel also. Yes. You know? So I've had copycats because I keep that other version. The recipe that's in the packet is obviously formulated differently than the recipe that I have public. Yep. But I've had people copy that recipe and try to launch their own products. Some people don't even have the audacity to change the design. Huh. And those are my biggest fears is that people are going to... Do you go after them? 
Uh, my readers do. <laughs> really? <laughs> really? I don't even know that it happens yeah. until somebody else alerts me. Yeah. And a couple a couple instances, I tried reaching out to resolve it. And in, in both of them, they tried to push back. And I'm like, okay, if you want to push back, I have no control over what my readers do. And I've had readers go nuts. Like, we've watched this girl pack every single packet. How dare you? This is unscrupulous. And ultimately, what I found is, had I not built it the way that I did... I don't know that I would have that sort of loyalty yeah, to my right, product. Right. I have distributors in uh, overseas that know that I'm not ready to scale there, and they have a competing product that's literally my recipe over there. And like, we're not going to work with them. We're going to wait for you because the way you've done this is like spectacular. Right, right. So running a consumer product business, or even because I'm still I'm still in the very beginning of building all this, yeah, I've yeah, had yeah. a lot of success. Um, is a full time job in itself, and it's really stressful. Yeah, because there's no plan B. You're all in. Yeah. Right. I, I don't believe in plan B's because if you have a plan B, it tells me the integrity of your plan A. Yeah, right. I mean, it, it's funny that you say that. I've kind of unintentionally done that my whole life. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't operate well when I have a plan B. Yeah. Like when I sold CrossFit LA, a lot of people were like, well, you know, how come you didn't keep 25% or 30%? I'm like, I'm just one of those people that is, I'm, if I'm in, I'm yeah. in. I'm, yeah. all, I'm all in. I can't really divide my attention and do a good job. Yeah. Really serve myself, serve my community, serve the people that are doing this. And I've got to be all in. So I think, um, I mean, all in is great. I don't understand this half-assed stuff yeah. at all. I don't, do you think it's a personality trait? Do you think it's learned? I think some of it may be hedging, hedging bets, but like a, a, a um, fear of taking that full, that full jump, that full risk. No. What do you think makes you all in? Do you think that's a <clears throat> innate? Oh, um, because I get asked that, like, you seem so fearless, and I don't under like my brain breaks when I get asked. Those I'm questions. definitely not fearless. I mean, I have a lot of fears. Every every single step that I took when I was a gym owner, when I went from yeah. being a personal trainer out of my car to being a personal trainer in a, another gym where I was paying rent to a personal trainer in a little facility where I just took my clients and put them in it, yeah, to like building a business around that. Every single step I was calculated was. Compl- I had fear of God every single step yeah. I took. I'm like, am I ready for this? This is a big step. I'm going to go from no overhead to $1,000 sure. a month. I'm like, can I afford that? Um, and we talked about that earlier. I said that instead of saying, how am I going to afford $1,000? How am I going to make $1,000 a drop in the bucket? Right, right. Because like I'm terrified all the time. People are like, you're so funny. Why are you so funny? I'm like, because I'm massively insecure. Right. <laughs> like it all comes from like a place of feeling those things and flipping it on its head. Do you know your Myers-Briggs? I have no idea. My sister does all that stuff. I don't. I, don't I have a couple of friends that. that that are really into it, and and the more I revisit <clears> it, because it was really prevalent in corporate America, I'm becoming more fascinated with it and how people test, but how they show up. What is your Myers Briggs? I am in. I n. I n t j. I should take it because that's interesting. Um, people are usually interested to find that I'm an introvert. I'm like I can show up as an extrovert, right? But then I like die for 12 hours afterwards <laughs> yeah that's, that's it's interesting too because i i um one of the reasons i like this little office that i have like it's like a little cave for me i shut the door i shut all the blinds like it was funny because my when i brought this air conditioner in and i had to block up that window my yeah. wife was like oh aren't you aren't you bummed you're losing the light i'm like no i don't really need the light there's like I kind of like here. there's a lot of light. <laughs> what are you talking no, but, about? <laughs> but like when I shut all the blinds <laughs> yeah. and it's not as bright as it sure. was before, I would actually here's something funny also I did because I thought it was too bright. Is let's see how this that set of blinds is darker than the oh, other. Oh yeah, I noticed that. 
This is my, this is my, uh, my tape. Do it yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Make the room darker. I use duct tape on the back of the, of the blinds because I watched an episode of um, Mythbusters with my son. Yeah. And there was an episode on what can you do with duct tape? And they made, I mean, they made a raft. Out of duct- I think actually they were trying to survive on an island with, pe- with pallets of duct tape. And like they, so they made a camelback. <laughs> they made a camelback out of duct tape. Yeah. And they made all these, they, they made survival devices. They built a boat out of duct tape. Uh, I've, I've seen like, a couple I of like procedural perfect. TV shows that they'll use that to, as, and, and they'll, if someone's like injured in, in some sort of war or something, they'll take duct tape. Yeah, totally. There's a, I mean, it's probably the most useful piece of uh, survival equipment. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. You could make an argument that Flint and Flint would be, you know, to make a fire. But um, maybe the second most. My my experience with duct tape as survival was more of his joke. I were high school. My friend's boyfriend was super hairy at the time, and he was just talking <laughs> shit next to us. Oh god! So I slapped the whole thing of duct tape on his leg, and I'm oh, like, "You god. can deal with that. <laughs> you go have fun with that in the corner." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a different that's kind survival. of survival. No? A different kind of survival. I was just over his conversation, and I wanted it to end. <laughs> So when did you know you were, was there ever a point, or maybe you're still kind of contemplating this, that you were successful? Like that this piece of what you're doing, it was going to be a success or it is a success or? I view anything I'm doing as just things I'm I'm doing. I want to say when I was 28 or 29, right before my birthday, like thinking about my life. Growing up in Silicon Valley, your barometer for a success is fucked because right, you're around right. Zuckerbergs. Yeah. And yeah. I was rolling around with a bunch of friends who are massively successful. Like I, I get they're it's not even fair sometimes. Um, when you measure, when you like the barometer for measuring success, is it mostly financial or are you so, talking about so other? So that's, I was looking back at that stuff in that moment. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not as far along as my, my peers, people who are younger than me. And I took a deep breath and I thought about my life from a holistic standpoint and the fact that my parents brought us here to have a better life and mm-hmm. some of the more personal experiences and losses in my life. And I resolved in that moment was I'm exactly the kind of woman I wanted to be when I grew up. Wow. And I felt successful in that moment. Totally. So everything else around that is just, just stuff that I'm doing. And they're either going to go in the right direction or I'm going to have to pivot and go in another direction because I don't believe in failure either. I just believe in mastering the pivot. So I, day in and day out, feel successful because I'm very grateful for as simple as just waking up in the morning. But I'm so grateful for parents that I have, the opportunities I have, I'm not to sound cliche. I'm not, I mean, there's some shit that's happened to me that I'm okay with not, like not having to experience if I could go back. But I also have to acknowledge that I am who I am because of those things. So I, I started to appreciate myself more as a young woman around 28, 29. And that only keeps getting better because I still have moments of doubt and moments of like, am Am I going to achieve X, Y, and Z by this date? And then I'm like, wait, why does that matter if I'm waking up every morning and have a good life? So I have to put myself in check, but less and less. Do you have a practice around that? Do you have a practice around like a morning routine where you like, I practice raised, gratitude or anything? I was, it's all the time. Like I'm, I'm always thinking about that stuff. I was raised Coptic Orthodox. Okay. Um, I'm not... Did you say Coptic? Coptic. It's ancient. Is- Coptic is an ancient Egyptian. Okay. Um, it's a really old form of Christianity. <clears throat> uh, my dad's a deacon was ordained by the Pope in the Coptic Orthodox Church. Very involved. But I'm not practicing in the traditional sense of like I'm not going to church every Sunday. But I still participate in our fasts. 
you know, before it was called intermittent fasting. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I carry that with me. I like I have a t- I have a tattoo of a cross, and and that's it's just part of my everyday that's a cross? life. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> so I have moments of I have deliberate moments of prayer. Like I I pray before bed, mm-hmm. um, but I'm always if if I just sit here and give myself a second to really think about the the gratitude I have, I'll start crying because I'll be overwhelmed. I'll have that true feeling of awe, and. I don't, I don't know if that's innate. I don't know if that's because of my culture. I don't know if it's because I know that I could always have less. I don't know if it's because I've had less. Do your brothers and sisters feel have that same thing? We feel really blessed. Huh. Um, my sister's 21. She's really moody. But I think it's because she's 21. <laughs> you <laughs> might have been too when you were, you're hear when this. were 21. Were you moody too? Yeah, I was, I was, <laughs> I was flippant for sure. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I don't know. We just, Do your parents have that kind of uh, innate sense of blessing and gratitude? Yeah. And yeah, so they don't like how much I work because they want me to to right. worry about the things that matter and slow down. Um, I have I'm amazing parents. That's why I think that's why I go out of my way to validate anyone, even if it's just a few moments in the elevator, because I've had that my whole life. Right. And I just want other people to feel that, and then also feel the freedom of, of being seen too. What do you mean? I don't know. I maybe I do. I don't know. Um, I am frustrated that vulnerability is being used as a marketing term now. Like, be more vulnerable, because right. right. I people are like, oh, you're you're so your brand is so vulnerable. I go, brands cannot be vulnerable. I am just share. I'm showing up as I am, and and before I would show up and be let down, and that hurts. But the more I show up, the more the right people that should be there are seeing me for what I am and who I am and accepting me. And it makes you realize that that stuff never really mattered in the first place, worrying about what people thought about you. And there's a freedom in being appreciated. Like I can I can relax because I'm okay. And I've found that when I'm even just paying someone a small compliment, there's this little like glimmer of sparkle that they have. And it's almost like they exhale almost as if they didn't want to be seen, but they were seen for a moment, and mm. it's okay. Mm. Mm. Well, I'm kind of woo-woo-wee. Was, there's nothing wrong with woo-woo. But in like a really rational, like I'm a rational romantic. Right, <laughs> Whatever right. that means. <laughs> I got my degree in spiritual psychology, so I'm a little yeah. woo-woo-wee too. Yeah. <laughs> is that really a degree? <laughs> it, it is. Like what's the, how do you pass the test for that? Well, it's inter- interesting. Um, there's a school in Santa Monica called the University of Santa Monica. And they've been teaching spiritual psychology now for, gosh, I think 35 years. They were accredited. So California used to have a system where they accredited universities to offer a master's degree. Okay. It's not a federal accreditation. It's a accreditation. It's a just a statewide accreditation. And so that's what they've operated under. Um, they currently, uh, California stopped that program about two years ago and they... Um, were considering going for their federal accreditation and decided that the the requirements to get the federal accreditation would have meant such massive changes to the way that they oh, operate their program okay, yeah. that they it wasn't worth doing. Sure. Like it wouldn't be it wouldn't teach what they were teaching. But what are they teaching? So the the program is a very structured and organized They've bottled 
something that can't be bottled. Like it's kind of, it's very, it's hard to talk about. Like, cause, cause it's hard to describe what you go there for. Um, do you find a lot people, of people go there and then can't stay? Like they don't finish it or does everyone go and feel like they, no, they sell I mean, it in my class, we started with about 250 people and we ended with about 150 people. Okay. Which makes so, me feel like it's more validated because it can't be for everyone. Right. And it's hard. Like it's, it's, it's very rigorous. So the program, the way it used to be was very rigorous because there were certain requirements. There was homework, there was reading, there was writing, there was you know, a certain number of hours you had to spend with doing teamwork stuff. You had to, you had to do a project in your second year. Like it was a, it's a big thing. Now the project looks a little different than it would like than what some people might think about. Like my project was to reconnect with music in my life. Cause I was a musician growing up. Yeah. And I always, I was a trumpet player, but I always wanted to sing and I always wanted to play guitar or, or piano. And cause I always wanted to be part of an instrument that could like sit around a campfire and, you know, play songs rather than be the soloist, you know, playing the trumpet. Yeah. So I designed a project with milestones and with landmarks and with practice time and scheduled things that I had to do around learning how to play the guitar and learning how to sing. So then, so if that's your project because you want to reconnect with music, what would a project for one of your peers look like? Some people write books. So they cho- they chose <clears throat> the thing that they wanted to connect with on yeah. a spiritual yeah. artistic sense? It, it, it really, it's really just what speaks to you. Like some people wanted to go back and explore their family history. Some okay. people wanted to travel back to their roots of their, how their do they, origins. How did, the, you, how did the school measure a, if whether or not that project was a success? So it depends. So the, the school helps you design the um, guideposts and there's a lot of, you get a lot of coaching around designing your project. Sure. Because it has to be measurable. There has to be a measurable outcome that like each step of the way. For it to be like a graduating a real, thing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Not that your life has to be measurable. Just no, show up, no, guys. right, right. <laughs> I mean, this is a degree program, right? right? So right. it has to have some measurable components. So, um, you know, a lot went into the planning and organization of the project. And each project was a little bit different. You know, the way the way you went about it was a little bit different. And the way, you know, success wasn't always in having the finished product of your book. Like you may have started off thinking you were going to have the book published and on bookshelves in, in a year. Sure. And you may have finished the project with a rough draft, you know. And Which that, is progress. And it's absolutely progress and it's okay. But, you know, a lot of people will go into the program um, looking for, looking to answer kind of the three big questions. Who am I? What am I doing and what's my purpose here on earth? Like, why am I here? And, and there's a degree for that. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's a pro- like now there's no degree. Right. Now it's a, it's a, they have a year one and they have a year two. Yeah. And it's a certificate program. Um, it's, it's weird because when you put it that way, it sounds very odd. Very like, I find what? it odd. It's I don't totally odd. understand yet. It's very odd. Because I feel like that's something that people should be doing every day. But they don't. You're and right. you're right. Most people don't. No, and but they can. I think so. I have a keen sense of mortality because I did that bereavement counseling where right. at 16, right. my teachers thought there was something wrong. Did you sure you want this to be a volunteer thing? I'm like, yeah, right. I actually do. And I've had a lot of death in my life. I've I have a lot of friends that passed away prematurely, and I I almost feel like I owe it to them to be present and fulfill any sort of goal that I have on their behalf. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like it sometimes takes people having a jarring experience to start feeling that way. I don't know who said this. They, they credit Tom Hiddleston, but I don't feel like that guy said this, but it's, um, we all have two lives. The second one begins when we realize we only have one. 
And you got to think about that. And I really believe in that because some either some people go through something traumatic and they come out of it. Like I really want to connect with myself because I, I almost wasn't here before. And then some people I know like the big thing now is some people go force those situations, like they're going doing ayahuasca to like yeah. reach somewhere else and then come yeah. back from that. I really don't care how people choose to, to have that experience, but I want people to have that experience. And I think it's becoming a more of a prevalent conversation. Um, but I don't know how you would structure that. Yeah, it's really, you know, one of the things that I learned in the program is very experiential. So you do a lot of work talking to people. Yeah. You learn how this to... This is why you got so good at podcasting. Uh, maybe. Maybe because <laughs> I got good really was talking to people. Yeah. I mean, I, certainly, I had two years of like lots and lots and lots of hours of talking with people and being present and yeah. learning how to listen with your heart and listen with loving, kind of a loving sense. Like loving, Did you have that somebody, in your life before? Let's talk about your parents, uh, <laughs> uh, your siblings. <laughs> I, I tend, well, I was a Marine, so I had Marine, okay. I have a lot, a lot of Marine training yeah. that I think got in the way, like judgments yeah. around what other people were doing and how they were living their life Yeah, that got in the way of being loving and being generous and being um, open. The Marines that I know are fiercely loyal. But not, totally, but not always fiercely uh, vulnerable or, or showing emotion in that. Well, it's not really allowed. Yeah. I mean, come on. How vulnerable can you be if you got to go and you know kill yeah. bad guys? I like, mean, yes. You don't want to be vulnerable. It's a weakness. Yeah. Well, it, do, it, can, it can It be can a be a weakness. A, I get a, it. Yeah. Yeah. As a Marine. Because for me, my vulnerability is my strength, being able a- to pinpoint those things. Well, I think at a, at a higher level, that is as a Marine also, your, your strength. But, yeah. Um, I think viscerally, without any training and without any, you know, kind of work at it, like it's hard to see that. So did you, you feel know? like you had to work to, to unlearn well, those things when you did this program? So one of the things that happened to me was I had a coach, a life coach that passed away suddenly. She died in a car accident um, in 2010. And I had this experience when I went to her memorial service that uh, the the love that she shared with all of her clients she was this, she was this kind of an amazing person who was self-taught and self no credentials no phd's no training none of that stuff <laughs> and um she uh whenever you whenever i interacted with her everything was always okay like mm-hmm. i would go she was like she was like this loving essence that just was you know i it didn't matter what i said what i did how i showed up I knew I would always be accepted and yeah. I would always be loved by yes. her and in her eyes and in her home and in her heart and her arms. Powerful. And what I didn't see until she passed away was how every single person that came into contact with her had the same experience. There, there was no shortage. Mm-hmm. There was no, she never ran out of this love that she gave. And I always can't kind of came from the context of I need to wait for someone else to show it first not that I need to, but that's how I acted. Like, like I was waiting and measuring how somebody else, whether somebody else was generous or somebody else was loving or somebody else was, was, um, it's very reactive. Yeah. And, and one, once I, once I felt safe enough that they were okay, that they would do that, then I, then I could do it. And I also came from the context that it, like there was a short, short supply of it. Like I didn't, if I gave too much of it, sure. it would run out. And versus would, the abundance. Versus the abundance. It. Like it just comes, it just flows out. One and, of my 
client slash friends. His name is uh, Justin Baldani. He's uh, an actor on the show uh, Jane the Virgin, but he has mm-hmm. a production comedy called Wafer Tavern, and they have a series called My Last Days, and they it's on CW, oh. and they spend time with terminal patients in their last days. And one of the the people that they highlighted has turned into a tattoo that he has now and one of the ethos of, of Wafer Tavern that happiness is not a limited resource. Right. And I love that because it's true. The more right. happy you are, the more joy and love you give, the more that there is. And then it's infectious. And it's a choice. You know, that's the other thing that I think that people... It's work. It's a yes. choice to yes, be to happy. that work. And yeah, it's, it's word, not it just work. say happy right. and I'm happy. No, right. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Um, it is work. So, so like being, being loving is work. Yes. I mean, I'd, <laughs> I naturally slip into non-loving. Sure. I naturally <laughs> slip into, I mean, ask my wife. She'll tell you right, right away. She, she, will, she will not be shy about sharing with you how unloving I am. You know, like when I slip into my unloving self. What's an example of your unloving self? Let's make sure it's not terrible. What podcast is this? Good God. <laughs> how this, how this thing flip around? <laughs> have you had people interview you for this podcast? Um, no, I never have. That's okay. interesting. Um, <laughs> What's what's an example of non-loving? Um, one, you know, something just happened the other night where I was quite um, non-loving to her, and what was it? I, I go, that you she remembers. Oh, she totally remembers. <laughs> I actually apologized. I, I I meditated in the morning and I came up to her afterwards and I said, like, I'm I'm really sorry about the way I treated you. I, the way I acted was just not the way I would ever want to be spoken to. Sure. And uh, God, what the hell was the issue? Was it just in the way that you responded? Yeah, it was something to do with Bella or with Dashiell or with, you know, like, Dash is my son. <laughs> oh. Bella's, my, Bella's my dog. <laughs> and it was something about, uh, it was something, of, I'm, I'm waiting for her to like have heard this conversation and pop her head around the door and go, <laughs> ah, it was this, 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 because she'll know immediately what it was. Um, but, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's insidious and it's a habit and, and it is, when I'm centered and when I, you know. Do you realize in the moment that you're being that way or is it maybe 10 seconds later or is it like a whole day later? Like That's, oh, that's really up. what my journey is, is to shorten that cycle. Sure. So that that cycle can happen in over the place of 30, of a, of a half a second. Sure. You know, so I can realize what I'm doing in the moment of doing sure. it and then stop and then maybe even get to the point where I don't even do it because right. I'm slow enough that I can, you know, like a master, like a Kung Fu master. Um, I like the little hand gestures with it. But, so, <laughs> but sometimes it takes 24 hours and, and there are other times when I have the realization and I think about what a loving, like my, one of the way, one of the ways I remember things that I'm focused on is I change my password on my computer to get I into my too. computer. So I like my current password should I say this? Yeah, I don't know. Use an old password that was something more intentional. Um, like loving kindness. Sure. Like would be my password. Like, because it just reminds me, I have to type it in all the time because my, sure. my computer screen goes to sleep, you know, and then I have to type in loving kindness and yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. So, but, but there's a resistance that I have at times, even after I've had the realization, like, okay, I want to be loving. I wasn't loving. I was kind of an asshole. Yeah. And now... I'm realizing that I wasn't loving. I'm forgiving myself for not being loving. I'm I'm loving myself again. Okay. You know, I'm loving her again. Right. And then I get up from that realization, you know, whether that's in a meditation or it's in a, you know, whatever. There's still resistance to wanting to say it. To like, it's a weird thing. Like I have this, 
like oh, it's almost it's almost like it is a um there's something it admits a fault that I, like I'm wrong or I'm bad. Sure, or I'm, admitting a fault is actually an amazing power. Mm-hmm. That so I I have got I would get asked questions all the time about the way that I think and I eat. So I have this this ebook, silly ebook that's like a five day guide, five days of the way that I think, five days of my fitness and food. But um, there's like five phases to power and self mastery, and uh, the final day is power. And the only way or the only place where power and peace can coexist is within compassion. And when mm-hmm. you get to a place from full compassion, compassion for yourself and others, you're in this place where something like admitting fault or having a day of ego, it's amazing to be able to sit, stand up and say, I'm sorry and I need to be loving. Yeah, It's, I don't know how to describe it, but it's the, the most centered you could feel. Yeah. And it's not, there's nothing wrong with it. Unless your partner's like, ha ha, told you. Cause then I would understand not wanting to be right. To right. be apologetic. In but that see, way. the problem is I think that's going to happen no matter what, before I say it. The ha ha told yeah. you. Yeah. Like I, I Why? almost, cause I, I just think that I have this natural sense that if I, if I, um, it's like a, it's like the beaten dog syndrome. Sure. Like, you just keep behaving the way you think. You know, somebody's going to make fun of you. It's, it's from old patterns, sure. it's from old old ways of being and so old it's ways of thinking. Those patterns, yeah. And I think because that's really you, what the school because it shouldn't like matter, right? It shouldn't matter if you say sorry. It shouldn't no, right. matter if they accept it or not. I mean, it exactly. should. You want them to. Um, but if you but if you let your peace be disturbed by the way somebody's going to respond to you when you're being loving, yeah, then it's still your issue. It's your responsibility yes. and your issue, not yes. theirs. I you know? my I I had this this problem in my early 20s where I was being let down and hurt a lot and I was telling my dad, you know, I do all these things for my friends and maybe I just should stop being this way. And my dad told me, like, look, I raised you to be a very kind, compassionate, loving young woman. Do not change that. Just limit the assholes you're hanging out with and then there'll be less opportunities to be let down. So the onus was on me. If I'm going to be hurt by someone that I'm showing love and, and grace to, what am I doing hanging out with that person? Now right. I'm being a selfless asshole. Right. Well, be, that, I mean, that's part of being fully responsible for your life. Like, like not blaming it's a someone lot of work. else. Yeah, it's a lot of work. <laughs> it's, a lot of, it's like a life's work, right? It is. Um, it's fun to be on the journey. It's fun to be on that path. I mean, I, I always talk, call myself a slow learner because I've been doing this for like 20 years and I'm still, you know, still working on it. And You're supposed to be. Yeah. Always working on it. Yeah. Always checking in with yourself it is a lot of work i i tell people i'm not that smart i'm just really good at figuring things out right that's good good way to think what um what do you struggle with um i got asked i I went to a conference and somebody asked me this um i don't feel lovable Hmm. i don't feel like i'm lovable i feel like i'm a task to be with because of the way that I think and the, the things that I say and the things I do daily, that I, when I receive an offer for help or words of kindness from friends, I almost don't believe it. Hmm. So I'm I'm working on understanding why I don't feel lovable. Because I'm also at the same time why? incredibly lovable. Per- like I, yeah. I have friends that love me immensely, yet I feel unlovable. It's kind of weird. Do you think it, why matters? Why you feel that way matters? Well, yeah, I want to understand the the why. Because huh. I don't want it to keep creeping up. 
So you want to know like where that came from? Um, like why you create this story around? Not not like let's go back to childhood and the first time. Blah, blah, blah. It yeah. just it doesn't make sense to me. And I like to my my doctor that I work with for my hormone stuff. Hormones are very you know ambiguous. And I'll get frustrated. I go, I just need the thing to do, and then I'll fix it. He, he starts laughing. He's like, he's like, Mary, these are one of those. You're very black and white. And I get that. Mm-hmm. It's not always like a quick fix. So it's it's when I say I want to know why, maybe not the source. I just I do want to not feel that way. But knowing the way my brain works, I'm going to have to understand a little bit more of why. Is there a judgment that's going on inside that that? I mean, I guess that is the judgment. The judgment is I'm unlovable. Right? Yeah. I'm I I know because I've been told I am a handful. Uh-huh. But I've also been told the same time that the way you show up is incredible and it it's right for the right people and it's not for the wrong people. So I it's a matter of focusing on the right people. The, at some point in my life I have to whether it sounds ego driven or not accept that I'm an outlier. And an outlier will feel better among other outliers. And if she tries to make herself fit in with everyone all the time, she's going to be hurt and be let down and feel a little bit like an outcast. At least that's the narrative I try to tell myself. Well, it's interesting because if you, if you, if you believe that your environment is responsible for how you feel, you're at the mercy of your environment. You're kind of a victim of your environment. Right? Well, it depends on what you mean by environment it's, well, like the, it's what you just described there are people your... that that um like you human while you're this is something i always i don't I always go back and forth on too we're here for our independent journey it's our journey and our journey alone mm-hmm. i get that but we're also here to make connections and there are certain people that are going to be in your inner circle whether they're family or close Abs- friends absolutely yeah and then how do you balance caring so immensely for them but then also being on your own journey that's right. that that right. weird line that I try to to figure out because um, it's I don't have kids, but one of my friends was telling me about his son. His son was involved in something that was very detrimental to his health, and he passed away. And this person, this friend of mine, wow. is a very, very, very successful man, right. and very enlightened, very spiritual, and he's always been telling me about the independent journey, independent journey, and then. He told me about his because his son died twenty years ago. He has other kids, so I didn't know that this even happened. And um, when he was bringing up his son, he goes, "Even I struggle with the independent journey when it comes to my son." Right. And he got his voice. I'd never seen him get emotional. His voice cracked. He goes, "It's not. It's not so perfect." And I go, "Right. So stop telling me to separate it all the time. It's it's that it's a very strange line. We are on our own journey." And I don't know if I want to believe it 100% because you do end up detaching because you're on your own journey. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if I want to date back, I mean, it might just be from be- being bullied in school and like wanting to have friends. And so wanting to be kind and generous to everyone and getting slapped in the face all the time. And like, I don't understand why. Why? It's almost how my dog doesn't understand when dogs don't like him. They're like barking at him. He's like, no, well, I just want to play. <laughs> do you think there's any coincidence that your story is I'm unlovable when you tell those stories from your past? I mean, it's they fit totally. They fit right together. They do. But you would feel like at some point you've done that work. 
And if you've done that work and it's not working, then yeah, fuck, yeah, totally. where did I fuck up? Totally. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, you don't know how many times I've processed the same stuff, the same story, yeah. the same, because I keep repeating it over and over and I'm still not getting it. Yeah. And um, I, I don't, that's what, I, that's what I mean when I say, like, I feel like I'm a slow study. Sure. Because I constantly am thinking. You're just taking your time. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but like you just said, like, if that's really it, then, and I, and I know that that's it, and yet. I'm still not different. I still haven't accepted it. Or, yeah. At you know, some point, I have it. to drink some prune juice and let that shit go. Right. At some point. Right. And apparently, I'm, for whatever reason, not ready. And it bleeds into other stuff. Like, I worry about, not as much as, as before, but at one point, I was concerned about not being, not having gone to college because it'd be thrown mm-hmm. in my face all the time. Mm-hmm. I didn't go to culinary school. So when I get asked to do things with these amazing chefs, right. I still go be like, hey, do you think I'm a chef? <laughs> <laughs> they look at me like what? I go, you know, I really want to respect the process you went through. Like, would you call me a chef? And they're like, yes, you're a chef. Like, Could you say that to the microphone? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to hold a knife, um, or I don't know the way you're supposed to hold a knife. Uh, so I have imposter syndrome, and I'm always like, what is what is other than liking who I am? And I've I've worked really hard to show up the way that I do. I'm 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 proud of myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if I'm proud of myself, why am I working so hard? Why am I not content? Like these are all the things that go through my head. Like what yeah. is my trajectory? I know it's an interesting balance too. You know, if you are, if you accept where you are, yep, and you're proud of what your accomplishments are, then why not just cash it in now? Like why? why I know. Just stop. Help like, me it's understand. Okay. You know, it's it's a really interesting <laughs> thing. Like, you know, we're on this journey. We're on this individual journey, sure. and we can't stop. Like like we can't stop being who we are. So in spite of, I mean, I think that this task of acceptance, self, like radical self-acceptance, there's a great book actually called Radical Acceptance. Um, I can't remember who wrote it. It's a Buddhist, um, it's a Zen teacher. Um, It's a great, great, great book. Um, But we can't stop life's events from happening on that chronological clock. Is it the... It just keeps... Life's keep yeah. going. Life, and life's going to continue to throw stuff at us and give us challenges and give us things to meet. And um, I don't think the solution... Because the way my teachers at University of Santa Monica put it, there's a soul line and there's a goal line. Yep. And they're kind of like this, mm-hmm. like a T. And you can move up in the goal line without going anywhere in the soul line. Right. Like you can be highly successful in the goal line and make shitloads of money. Right. Um, and have this life that everybody is jealous of and you're miserable inside because you're, you haven't moved, you haven't adjusted anything spiritually. I have a, I had a female client of that. She's more successful than I can even fathom. And I was cooking for her, but she also had me do coaching with her. Mm-hmm. And she was really stuck in this like self-love thing. And we were having a conversation and I was you know, coaching her through something that we we're working on in her personal life. And she starts yelling at me. She starts screaming at me. And she goes, I don't fucking understand. How is it I can have so much fucking money and you hardly have anything and you're fucking happier than me? I'm like, bitch, let's just replay what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> Volatile. Right. But I like, I, and I think having been exposed to a lot of people who are so successful who are inside seeking something is... Why well, they're, I they're think, seeking it along this line. Yeah, and, and not, that's why I'm like so concerned about how do I manage those two things right. because 
I don't ever want to end the the soul search. Yeah. But I also don't want to just chill here with the like who doesn't like having money and having the ability to have freedom. Right. Right. And for me, I sleep better at night when I know that that money is being led by my soul versus the other way around. Well, that's why it's possible to move in both directions at the same time. Yeah. You know, you don't have to be anywhere on the goal line in order to move up in the soul line. Right. You don't have to be anywhere in the soul line to move up in the goal line. Like they're, they're totally independent of each other. And, um, how do you know that you're doing that? For me, the soul line movement is about doing daily practices is about, is about, I mean, one of the big ones I learned is self forgiveness, like forgiving myself for judging myself as unlovable, forgiving myself for judging myself as stupid, forgiving myself for judging myself as arrogant, forgiving, because it's the self judgment that causes my, my first teacher used to call it self beating. Mm Mm-hmm. The self-judgment is what causes the pain. Mm-hmm. And the pain is what causes the um, the internal strife. And you do that do you get that you sort through that through meditation? I sort through it. I don't know. I mean, meditation's one way to do it, visualization's one way to do it. Um, when you meditate, actually, is it quiet time or mantra time? I put in um I I play I've played around with quiet meditation. I've done chanting meditation. Right now I'm kind of on a chanting thing sure. where I listen to chanting really quietly. So I hear, also hear other things. Yeah. Have you done recorded journal stuff? What's a recorded journal? This is something I did when I was trying to understand meditation, and I found it really powerful. It's what led me to step one of self love. Was um, following other people's mantras. I just uh-huh. didn't feel it didn't feel right. Yeah. So I was driving to a client's house and I tucked my phone in and recorded a free flowing journal. And then I listened to it on the drive back and had to pull over because it got really emotional because I had to listen to myself as if I'm listening to a friend and I'm far more compassionate to my friends than I am to myself. It wasn't edited, so I had to hear where I struggled, what I couldn't say, where my voice cracked. And then I was able to extract the theme or the thing that I needed to learn from that journal entry. And that then became my mantra over the next however many weeks of spending time with myself. And that first one was, and I say this because you're talking about self-forgiveness, the very end of it after I went through my emotional rant was how can I be so grateful for everything outside of me if I'm not grateful for everything within me? The most powerful thing a woman can do is love herself. And that became, my own words became my mantra to check back in until it became my truth. And every few months now, I'll do that where I'm like, okay, let me sit down and just record something and I've hear myself. I've never tried that. I've never tried recording a journal. Like fucking a, weird to hear yourself in that way. Yeah, yeah, right. That sounds really cool. I was told, sometimes I don't know if my, my friends like pull my leg or not. So he's a neuro, neurosurgeon type of doctor. And he, he, I told him I did this. He's like, oh, you're doing the so-and-so method from the 1970s, doing that actually <laughs> chemically rewrites your brain. And I go, huh. what's the study called? He's like, I actually don't want you to read this. I don't want it to influence what you're doing. Right. So I right. don't know if like he was pulling my leg to make me feel smart. Yeah. Yeah. But he said that it's it's incredibly effective, especially with PTSD, is wow. listening to yourself in that way. Oh, that's really cool. Try it. Let me know what you think. Yeah. Like, do you wait until you have some really hot issues that are bothering you to talk about? Or do you just do it? I just did it. And just kind of almost like morning. Have you ever done morning pages? Have you ever done the artist's way? Do you know what that is? Uh, I journal in the morning, but I know artist's way. I haven't done that. Where you just kind of empty your brain of whatever's going on? Yeah. Is that kind of what you do? Yeah. You just start talking. Yeah. That's really interesting. Because again, I'm more compassionate to my friends than I am to myself. So I have to hear myself. And that's also really interesting because I tend to be a more verbal person anyway than a, than a in writing person. Like I do better at thinking out problems when I'm talking to somebody else. Sure. So I wonder what I would, I wonder what that would be like. I'm going to have to try that. 
Oh, I'm curious. I'll get back to you. Yeah, I'll yeah. get back to you on that. Let me know if you felt as uncomfortable as I was in, so in part uncomfortable. Two I had to pull over. Yeah, I had to pull over. I was crying because wow. I heard this person that was in pain and acting as if nobody knew what was happening. Which is you. Yeah, I'm like, right. fucking, you fail, Mary, acting. Right. <laughs> and when you're in your own head and you're not listening to it, like literally listening yeah. to it, you're judging yourself. Yes. Like it's... Like, how can I do this? How can I be this stupid? How can I do this again? How can I mean, it's that voice that's going on. And yes. It's that little red devil that's sitting on your shoulder, right? And so I played tennis and tennis is a sport in which your coach can't speak to you for the match. Right. So you have full on conversations with yourself. Right. I was trained to do this shit to myself. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't know your coach was not allowed to talk to you during the match. You can't have, you play the match. The only, the only right. thing you hear is them telling you balls in or out. Do they yell? Can they yell at you from the stands? They're not even allowed to say anything. Mm-mm. Can they get ejected from the court if they start, you know, hey, remember to toss the ball higher on the serve? I don't know. I don't know. I also struggled for me personally with my tennis. I had two tennis coaches, my during school and then my after school coach, because I had two different circuits I was, I was playing on. Um, my coaches would never watch me play and I would get really angry because they would watch everyone else play. Right. And I went to my, my coach, Ablin, and I was, I was on the bus all. First off, I never wore my skirt. Like I was always the bad one. Yeah. But I got mad at her. I'm like, Abel, and you never watch any of my fucking matches. What's up with that? And she's like, you're the only one on the team that doesn't need me to watch their matches. You mm. know what to do out there. And I was both flattered but pissed off. Right, right. But it's true. Like She, she did such a good job at, at making me so self-aware that I knew how to coach myself. That right. oh. I don't know what happens if you... I know I've gotten kicked out of tennis matches for talking too much. Like John McEnroe? Um, I was in the <laughs> stands and I called... A, a well-known tennis player, a pussy. Oh shit! <laughs> and I got you got kicked out. out? Yeah. Wow. Have you ever gotten kicked out of a match for yelling while you're playing? No, so I almost like- got in a fight once because the girl kept talking. I was playing an all-girls school, and she had like the football team come like talk to her as as we're playing our match. Yeah. Uh, there's not a lot of people that come and watch tennis matches, so right, it's right. it's. I get that you might be bored and want other people to come watch, but she kept talking. And so I let my first serve hit her body versus the court, and she got rightfully pissed. Like in the air, no bounce, just just pfft. hit her. And yeah. and I had a pretty fast serve, so it probably painful. Mm-hmm. She got pissed, like threw her racket over the the net, started yelling at me, and I started hitting my my racket down, like trying to tempt her, like come at me. Right, right. Um, and the coaches all just yelled at us, like these are our new courts. Don't mess up our courts. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you guys! And I we, care about the courts yeah, and the rackets. And we, we, we squashed it. Um, but I've yeah. never been kicked out. I've only got kicked out that one time calling that. that He was contesting a point. And in, in any sport, you forget the last point. Just move forward. Right. And I was just annoyed. Right. And I was like, stop being a fucking pussy. And just right. not, I yelled it. So right. I got asked to leave. Please leave. That's funny. <laughs> Thank you so much for spending this time. You're, like, w- you're welcome. <laughs> no, it's seriously. Like, you know, I really love going to these kinds of depths with people. Like, I, I feel like it is a... Um, it's just an honor to be able to connect with another human being in this way. And I, you know, prior to doing the podcast, it, 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 it's not really a normal part of life. You know, like I connect with people, but when do we, when you sit down and have a two hour conversation with somebody like a deep conversation with, I don't do that very often. See, I don't do that very often. (laughs) So the podcast for me has been a way to, to make it deliberate, make it deliberate yeah. and do that. I mean, I do it with my friends. I do it in the pod with the podcast yeah. with my friends. I do it with people that I don't know. Um, 
do you feel that because you're doing this with podcasting that you're doing it more often off podcasting now too, or are you still keeping it isolated to this? Well, I don't avoid it. Like I don't avoid it. Like if it comes about, but I don't spend, I don't seek it out. Like I don't schedule a two hour lunch with a friend and just let it go to deep places. Like I, I'm kind like of I a very focused, a 15 minute coffee with a friend and we'll end up being there for four hours. Cause the conversation just goes. Yeah. See, I don't, that's not normal for me. Cause I, I'm very, um, it's funny. Like you call yourself introverted and I'm kind of, intro- I'd much rather stay in my house and sure. not ever go out and not meet anybody and not, you know, like whenever Julia recommends, you know, tells me we're going to go to the Beverly Hills or Hollywood or somewhere else to meet. I'm like, Oh, can't, can't we meet on the West side? Yeah, can't I'm we like meet West too. of the 405? <laughs> like, do we really have to go do that? And you know, like when we have a party, when she, she loves to have parties and she'll tell me we're having, a, and I come up with like 15 reasons why not to have the party. How are you and, at the party? So I'm real. I think the reason why I have deep conversations all the time is I'm really awful at small talk. Either we're going to get weird or I'm going to just sit in the corner with my scotch. Right. It's like, do you do small talk? Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm okay. I'm uncomfortable. I'm just generally sitting there uncomfortable. So like how I, do you end a conversation you're uncomfortable in? I don't start one. Okay, but if you're in one, how do you end one? <laughs> Wasn't my question. Um, how do I end one that I'm uncomfortable? Someone comes with? up to you and they're just shooting the shit, and you're like, "I don't want to be in this fucking conversation." I go get a drink. Like, do you say, "Excuse me, I gotta get a drink," or do you yeah, like walk away I, from the conversation? I don't ever like turn my back and walk away on yeah. somebody, but I come up with a reason why I need to go. Like, I'm very awkward. But I, but if it, if it's I some, think I witnessed this with you. I think you walked away from me. Once. Did I? I'm joking. God, I don't think so. No, no, we're, you were in a rush. Was it the Paleo Conference? Uh, CrossFit. Where? Games. Or the game? At the game. You were oh. on your way somewhere. I'm giving you shit right oh, now. You okay. were not trying okay. to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, cause I don't, I would, I remember those cause I remember them because they're uncomfortable for me too. Yeah. Like I don't like the fact that I do that, you know, like, um, and it's because you just don't want to talk to the person or the topic is well, something it's you don't funny, care like, about. I went to a premiere. So we go to a lot of premieres cause Julia's in the business. Yeah. And, um, I went to the premiere of bad moms and one of her, um, uh, one, uh, she had introduced me prior to one of the people that she worked on the movie with her and I was not looking forward to going to the premiere. It's kind of a hassle. It's a weekday thing. Yeah. It's dressed up and I didn't really get dressed up enough and so she was really kind of upset that I didn't get dressed up enough. It's and, an unloving and act. It you is should, an unloving act. You should dress up for it, her. it is, but I, but it, well, oh, so in my defense, <laughs> I'm kind of tainted and the movie was not tainted because of her, but tainted sure. by, by like the Hollywood thing. Of course. And I, and she had, talked about the movie you know i didn't think it was a big deal like i thought oh it's bad mom it's just bad moms it's not like like she has trolls coming out in two months which or one month and that's going to be a big deal yeah look okay i was bad okay moving forward i should have have, yes absolutely (laughs) um but i ended up having this great conversation with this guy and his wife we got in kind of a deep like it's funny that i say i don't do that but I got into that conversation at the after party yeah. because I, he was really one of the only people I knew. And it was a really engaging conversation with both him and his wife. And I didn't really know his wife that well. And it was a great conversation. And I had a great time. I ended up having a great time. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe I should think about the times that I've had great times and try to channel those. Because if to- it's all deep conversation, then what you could do when someone small talks with you, and again, it's a great qualifier, ask them a deeper com- question, right. and it right. might make them uncomfortable and they'll leave, right. or you might be surprised and they're going to engage with you. Right. Because, see, I like that. 
I like having deeper conversations with people. I I don't like small talk, and I don't like you know like kind of the bullshit that goes along with so with small talk. Having stuff, a so. deep conversation makes me forget that I'm an introvert because I'm so yeah. engaged in the topic. Yeah. I'd rather connect with one person at a party than connect with 20. 100%. Like, I, I'm not the guy that goes into a party and owns the room and gets all the business cards and, like, goes in and... That's why like, I tell people I'm unemployed. Never. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, like last night I, I walked to the beach just to see the sunset for a little bit and I was going to just grab a drink at the bar for 30 minutes. I was there for four hours because the wow. person next to me, we talked about adoption, we talked about... Uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. We talked about the presidential campaign. We talked about the redesign that's happening in the neighborhood. Like we went super, super deep. Right. And and at the end of it, when he got up to, to leave, he looked exhausted. He's like, "Whoa, what did we just? What did we talk about?" And meanwhile, <laughs> I'm invigorated. I'm like, "This is awesome." Yeah. He's like, "I talked about a lot of stuff with you." I'm like, "That's just it's normal for me, and I enjoy it." And I think those are the moments where I wonder, like, oh, maybe I am exhausting to other people because huh. I like to go deep and that stuff doesn't wear me, wear me down at all. Right, right. Otherwise, I don't, I mean, I don't want to just sit there and just the weather and, yeah, Venice is nice. Right. And what do you do? And I don't like those conversations. Yeah, I think that's why I resist, I resist going to those kind of social um, events. And maybe that's an interesting way to reframe it. It's an interesting experiment to run, you know, like... I'm, exp- I'm running the experiment this week of no social media. I'm going to delete the apps from my iPhone in seven days and see what happens. Yeah. Um, that's a good experiment for me to run around social events is to try to go deeper with people and not just be a you know nice guy. Moving to Los Angeles, everyone told me I was going to regret it, mm-hmm. that I was, going to, I was going to have superficial relationships. Right. And I was reluctant to go to a lot of these social events. Yeah. And um, so I just... Was I decided to be weird, be myself, and I've met some of the most incredible people because yeah. there were people at the party that wanted to meet me at Weird from right. Hello, and they're mm-hmm. some of the best friends that I have. There's no such thing as a place in the world that doesn't have interesting people. It just doesn't really. You're going to tell me that people are less interesting in LA than they are in, I don't know. And what about Miami? Like, is that a bad place to go? Or, or I don't think there is such a thing as a bad place to go. I mean, look, I like the weather here. I like the mountains. Miami would be rough for me because of the humidity and it's flat. And, you know, I'd like to ski and snowboard. Yeah. Um, but I have people, these interactions wherever I go. People, yeah. people are fantastic no matter where you go. But it's how you show up. So, right. I mean, right. I, I, I'm over trying to do small talk. I'm just going to be weird hmm. and it's going to put off some people and that's fine. But it, it helps me go to those social events because as soon as mm-hmm. someone tells me premiere, I'm like, ah, what am I going to wear? I look like you, like, what am I going to wear? Right. Do I have to straighten my hair? Right. Damn right. it. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Do I have to impress? Do I need to impress anyone? Like, okay, like, I where's my flash? I'm not impressive. I'm just not impressive. <laughs> uh, and when I let go, once I get over all the reasons why I don't want to go because I'm trying yeah. to be an introvert and I go, I end up finding the per- that one person I'm going to have that conversation with all right. night and they end up becoming my friend and such a good friend because right. I think they probably had all the same reservations getting there that I did. Yeah, and like a beacon, course, let your right. weird light shine so other weirdos can find you. <laughs> right, totally, totally. Um, we could probably keep going considering that we both like deep conversations and you had four hour one two nights ago. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> but I think in the interest of, uh, sorry guys time and <laughs> I've, I've got to coach a kid's soccer practice at five o'clock. So, um, I've got, what time 40, is it? It's four fifteen. Okay. Yeah, we're okay. Um, I just really appreciate you opening up and, you know, kind of sharing yourself. And Thanks I know, for having me. I know it's... you're, you're in practice of doing that, but it's really nice. It's refreshing. 
Thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, thank you for having me. Even this is another thing of like the whole unlovable thing. Like when you asked me to be on there, I'm like, why? I don't have any value to offer. Like you guys think I think I thought the whole life challenge didn't like me at all. Like this is cool. <laughs> no. So I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we'll have to do it again because I've got to follow back up with you and yeah, how the, my experiment went. I don't journal. know. Should you ask your your listeners to maybe try that online journal or the vocal journal thing? Sure. I'd love to hear that feedback. I'd love yeah. to hear how people, you know, if people have a journaling practice or that might be an interesting practice for a lifestyle practice in the whole life challenge. You know, we're always trying to come up with new ways for people to explore things and see their life and see things differently. Listen um, to a, yourself. A, 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 um, what do you call it? A uh, verbal journal? I don't, I've never, I've never given a name. I just tell people like record, record a journal and listen to yourself. Face the music. (laughs) Face the music. Um, I don't, I, I, the people that have done it have told me it's been emotional for them too. Yeah. Cause again, you're hot. You have to hear yourself. Right. It's bizarre. It makes you like, Oh damn it. Am I going to hear this whole thing? And imagine being loving to yourself, like, you know, to that person that's speaking. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. well, that's everyone's homework. Yep. I'm not sure I'm allowed to just give your listeners you homework. Gave, you gave them homework. You're cool. totally allowed. All right, thanks again. Oh, hey, wait, how do people find you? I think you've already mentioned it, but it's okay. Oh, yeah, paleochef.com yep. is my website, not my blog. Right. <laughs> and right. then it's at paleochef on Instagram and at paleochef on Twitter. And I'll, I'll play around on, on Snapchat and Periscope, and it's the paleochef on those two things. Cool. And then there's Fat Fudge as well. Right. Cool. Thank you. Thank you so much where the music comes and we're fading out the whole life challenge podcast is produced by our podcast team Ernie Hurtado Becca Borowski and Cameron Banfield you can find all our episodes as well as the links to anything we talked about during the episode plus complete show notes at wholelifechallenge.com forward slash blog you can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or whatever app you use to listen to podcasts And if you like it, please remember to give us a favorable rating in iTunes and recommend it to your friends. I'm Andy Petronic. Thanks for listening.